rivalry, competition. When two equal but opposing forces collide. Many times throughout human history, when this happens, it brings out the best in all parties involved, elevates that chosen industry or sport to a new level. Rivalries are the epic whispers through the echoes of human competition. Montague versus Capulet. Jordan versus Bird. Pepsi versus Coke. Herb Jones versus Bad Boys 2. Truly legendary rivalries that have helped shape the very fabric of our society. Today's topic is not one of these rivalries. It's the 2010 Monday Night Wars. This week on Nothing Good. Well, gentlemen, here we are. Uh, we are now in the year 2022. Yeah. Um, how's everybody doing tonight? How are you guys feeling? Woo! Doing well. We made it to the new year. It's exciting. Yeah. Holidays in the rearview mirror. Finally, we get back to some level of normalcy and being mean yeah. to each other all the time. Yes. Yes. Not just Indeed. when the cameras are rolling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys I, have a nice I new year's uh, I'm feeling a little bit more like a human, which is good. Um, I'm I'm on the uptick where the Rona is concerned. Everybody, uh, yeah, it has it has unfortunately affected the household. So, yeah. you know, we're uh, we're still kind of working our way through that, everyone. But everyone's you know relatively healthy. You know, no no major issues or anything. So, um, uh, I don't know what 2022's got to offer, but it sure started off in an interesting fashion um, with that and a meteor exploding over our our collective neighborhood. Um, yeah, always interesting. Yeah. Don't, don't get True. that too much every day. No, you don't. I thought it was interesting. 2021 said on the last day that it's going to take Betty White. Uh, and then 2022 said, hold my beer. And fucking <laughs> dropped a meteor on us the first day. <laughs> so... Everyone, uh, strap in, because this is going to be a fun ride. But speaking of fun rides, uh, before we get started with the fucking shit show that will be our first episode of 2022, uh, I want to take this minute to formally announce and thank everybody, because the podcast, uh, just these last few days before we record this, uh, has crossed the 1,000 streams mark. Um, meaning 1,000 of you, asterisk, have enjoyed this show uh, or at least once and then turned it off and uh, never to enjoy it again. And we want to say <laughs> fucking thank you. Thank you so very much. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Some, everyone. Every, everyone counts. Yes. Every That's single. Some you. more than others, apparently. But yes. we, we, we want to do is I want to give a different, a very special heartfelt thank you to the 1,000 people that have checked out the show. Uh, because, you know, they say that you need to surround yourself with people who believe in you. And I know that the, f- the four of us believe in each other, but I can flat out tell you that my wife doesn't. 
And, <laughs> oh, no. And whenever I told her, as we were inching closer ever along our milestones here, oh, honey, 100 people have listened. She's like, that's great. Cool. Whatever. And then it was like, honey, 500 people have listened. She's like, okay. Wow. Whatever. Whatever. I'm still never going to listen. She's still never going to listen. But when I told her it was 1,000 people, she's like, okay, well, good for them. And I was like, yeah, good for them. Good for us. Getting started. That's a thousand people that have listened to me at least say the word come one time. And that's, that's a statistic I'm, I just feel so good about. And I wanted to thank you because I, without the 1000 of you, uh, I would just be saying come by myself. Which is just not a good, t- not a good look, you know. Yes, or to us three, which we're used to, yeah. anyway. Oh yeah, I that, mean, that I... sounds a lot like 2008 to 2011 for me, Noah. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> but I, but well, we appreciate you guys, and uh, here's yes, so many more much. episodes. We're, uh, it's hard to believe, we're only uh, just over four months in on this experiment too. So, 2022 shaping up to be our first uh, full year calendar year of broadcasting uh is it really an experiment anymore is it more just now a way of life i mean you know it's like it's it's the podcast equivalent of a finger in your ass uh during a blowjob you did it once just to try and now it happens every time so are you really experimenting or is that are you just fucking weird now you're just in the show i i want to i want to make it (laughs) no i'd like to make it weird and ask you a question is it your is it your finger up your ass or is it you know her finger up her up your ass i would say that it's the first available finger available is the one you go with i mean it personally the question should not be whose finger the the question and not just for this topic but for every topic everybody should be how many knuckles deep do you go not just in an asshole door to blow job but i'm talking about in life are you a one knuckle man are you a two knuckle man or are you straight down to the fucking nub of it kind of a person? Yeah, it's boom, right? Five knuckles. Doc, Doc once said, go big or go home. And that includes <laughs> how many right. knuckles deep you fucking go. <laughs> and here at Nothing Good, we're going full nub all throughout 2022. It's it's a whole different meaning of five knuckle shuffle, ladies mm-hmm. and gentlemen. Oh. And Jeez. and unlike John Cena, you can see that. <laughs> <laughs> We'll be starting an OnlyFans sometime in the end of this year. So, but speaking of uh, John Cena, we're back on Wrestling Guys. We're done with the endless stream of movies we did to round yeah. out December there. So, how are we feeling it's about nice getting back. back on rotation? It feels good to be back in professional wrestling for a little bit. I'm excited to talk about the subject. Yeah, you know, it's, it, it's one of the original things that brought us together as friends and you know, through this outlet. Uh, so it's good to get back to it and step away from the movie scene for a hot minute. It's, yes. it's, it's amazing how much I remember that I didn't remember when we started kind of doing the research for this. Um, and, you know, I kind of went down that rabbit hole going, going through that, that evolution of, of 2010 and the start of that year and kind of like how that went forward the next three, four months and uh, you know it's amazing how much you kind of remember that you didn't remember. Um, that was a it was a hell of a time for wrestling. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. We lived together at the time, Mac. You and I were we roommates did. at that we point. We did absolutely. Yeah. It, it was like a, a lifetime uh, ago. That was the Monday night ritual. You know, mm-hmm. um, 
at some point in the evening on Monday, because we recorded it. Uh, we always recorded Monday Night Raw on the DVR. Um, so whether we got to watch it at, uh, you know, eight o'clock or we started watching at nine or 10, you know, Jones and I always made sure that we got through the full, you know, episode of Monday Night Raw. And, you know, that particular, what we're going to be talking about today was a very important oh, Monday man. Night Raw. Oh, yeah. And um, as we always say, Jones, watching, watching those clips again and, and watching, watching those promos and bringing me back, man. You know, mm-hmm. bringing me back. Mm-hmm. So, okay, how do? Okay, so we really didn't talk about this before we hit record. Nope. So we we kind of like we talked about like how we're going to approach this, right? And I kind of like the fly by the seat of our pants sort of technique, right? So we have uh, TNA Total Nonstop Action Wrestling, uh, no longer being run by Jeff Jarrett. He is no longer uh, in power on any level. He's a minority on- owner at the stage. Uh, and matter of fact, this show is the first show he was at where he was just a talent, which is a really big fucking deal considering he it started is. TNA. <laughs> you know, but the Carters have kind of moved into that position of power um, along with Vince uh, Russo um, and technically, I guess, Hulk Hogan in some capacity uh, and eventually Eric Bischoff. Um, so now TNA, I believe this show was on Thursdays or is it uh, Wednesdays? It was Wednesdays. Oh, Wednesdays, yeah. Yeah. And it moved so they from this... its Thursday staple point to Wednesdays. There you uh, go. And then wanted to try the Mondays as a they wanted a weekly and they got it as a special. Uh mm-hmm. I'm actually quite keen to talk about this for a second because yes. this is to me, this is the underlying theme about this this whole experiment and today's episode is TNA. Being giving, uh, taking a big step and doing a big deal, and what became of it and what they did with it, right? Uh, But I, we can't talk about, well, first of all, I don't know how many times, despite all the wrestling we're ever going to discuss, how many times we're ever going to mention TNA on this fucking show. So let's, let's get our fucking money's worth out of this. (laughs) For the very few people that would bother to listen to a podcast about this subject without knowing the context involved, here is a super bullet point thing i'm not even gonna read notes 2001 we all know the original monday night wars wwf and wcw we've covered it during this fucking show a bunch of times uh in march of 2001 wwf buys wcw picks up a shit ton of wrestlers and over the next couple years even more the one they don't is jeff jarrett (laughs) matter of fact publicly fucking fire him on the last night yes uh and it's and it's not it's not pretty a year later in the summer of 2002 he starts Total nonstop action, TNA wrestling, uh, immediately struggles with the financial end of the things. And before it closes down, it is saved by Bob Carter, an energy mogul from Dallas, Texas, who installs Panda Energy. Panda Energy, who installs his daughter, Dixie. I'm paraphrasing a lot of bullshit history here. Uh, his daughter, Dixie Carter, as the president of TNA, to kind of act as his, his, the ruler in his stead to work alongside Jeff. Dixie's to run the business and the Carters to run the business. Jeff's to run the wrestling. This works out pretty good for TNA for a long time. They go from being a Nashville-only based weekly pay-per-view company to eventually getting on Spike TV. Fall, uh, and with the ultimate fighter being huge on Spike TV at that time, they're getting a lot of bumps. And it leads to what we could indisputably call the golden era of TNA in 2006 
2007 when they signed Kurt Angle. You have Samoa Joe and his big breakout. AJ Styles is now a seasoned vet. A lot of talent. Christian jumps, leaves the WWE for, for TNA as well. A lot going on in this era that gives TNA a lot of credit. They have gone from being a bound to fail wrestling organization to now they are the number two in uh in the wrestling organizations in the united states well enter the fact that here's here's what i have to say and this is a phrase i'm going to keep saying we have proven on this show that wcw is gonna wcw even when it's called tna it's gonna wcw and Dixie Carter seemed to be the only person in the entire fucking world who didn't get the memo about what killed WCW and saw fit at the golden era peak of TNA to slowly but surely turn this fucking thing into WCW. Uh, that includes such WCW maneuvers as bringing in wrestlers for way too much money and way too much creative control and listening to them instead of the people that have been there forever. Number two, uh, lying to television networks about who you have on your staff, including Vince Russo. And ultimately, number three, putting yourself on TV when you've never been a wrestling TV character before, uh, just because you want to be famous. These are all top three WCW hallmarks that Dixie Carter proceeds to repeat over and over and over again, driving away the golden era of TNA, but inevitably bringing us to the year 2010. Where 2009, when they signed Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff, and apparently a shitload of other ex WCW wrestlers, <laughs> yes, with the idea, and, and if there was no more WCW, who uh, WCW and TNA could do, they decided that they're going to go straight for the jugular and run head to head with Vince McMahon the first Monday of 2010. Uh, they had promoted this Monday show without letting anybody else know that next week's show would not be on Monday. That's a minor detail. A minor yes. detail that no one fucking cared to bother to mention. So the cards are all stacked for TNA slash WCW side to restart the Monday Night Wars here on January 4th, 2010. The problem 12 is, years to the day. 12 years today. to this day. The problem was that you told Vince McMahon you were coming. And, yep. and he didn't even feel compelled to put any kind of his current product on the line to go against you. He could not give a shit. On the undercard of that show, you had fucking Alex Riley and shit on that show. Okay? Like, that's, that's what we had. You know, like that era of wrestler. All he decided to do is like, oh, yeah, they're going to do what? Well, what's the most compelling real-life issue in the history of pro wrestling? Let's, let's just open. Dave? Um, Kofi Kingston's push. Ah, yes. Of oh, course. man. It's a close second. That's a close second. That is not what we're not talking about in this episode. Uh, I so think we're going to talk about the Montreal Screwjob again. Kofi yes. Kingston's mysterious push and then it mysteriously just stopping against randy orton i don't want to talk about it it's not what we're talking <laughs> oh, we're about, gonna talk about it at some point Unless i'm still upset content. about it uh we all are jones we all are well without it we wouldn't have gotten kofi mania so let's let's go ahead and, and put that into a perspective but 
Vince just decides that it's time to spread just enough cash around to squash the Montreal Screwjob on live national television. And we're going to fucking open the show with that, ensuring that nobody will be bothered to watch TNA on Monday night anyway. So we're off to the races. TNA announces that they're going to come for Vince McMahon, and Vince McMahon decides instead of letting them take the first swing, he launches a nuclear fucking warhead and annihilates the entire goddamn thing in one night. It's the 2010 Monday Night Wars. So that's the situation. Which did not at. last long. No! <laughs> no, it was very short-lived. Did it's, not. It's, it's basically the United States invading Grenada. Yeah, it's so, what it was. Now, was... from my perspective, I am not, I've never really been a huge TNA fan. I enjoyed the product years ago. Years and years and years ago. Because uh, you put me on it, uh, Mr. Brown, you put me on TNA uh, back in, like, the like what, 2007, 2006, something like that. You kind of stumbled yeah. into it and told me about it. Uh, the X Division was really what it was. I mean, that's, that was yeah, the bread no, and You can even boil it down. There's a lot of great wrestlers, but AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, and Christopher Daniels. Christopher Daniels. For the reason man. to watch TNA for like three years. Yeah. And so, and so, the, until TNA matches. forgot that that's the whole reason that People we're watching. watching in the first place, yeah. <laughs> so... I, I mean, look, we, we went over great detail in Montreal Screwjob, like episode three or something way back in the archives. Although I do believe that now that we have more people on, on the roster, more co-hosts, I think that at some point we should revisit Montreal Screwjob uh, now that we have more experience and oh, yeah. more comfortable in what we're doing. But, you know, if it was a work. Any, yeah. Any audience member who's really curious about Montreal Screwjob and one is easily one of the most important moments in professional wrestling history uh, and most influential that has still rippling, lasting effects to this day, this very fucking day. To uh, this day. Please listen to that episode, because it's really fucking good. Um, not to toot my own horn, but as Arn Anderson would say, toot, toot. Anyhow, uh, having Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels face off, meet, shake hands, whatever you want to call it, in the middle of the fucking ring, as a fan of professional wrestling, short of... Jesus himself walking on fucking water on TNA. I ain't watching it, man. Even I, then, I wouldn't have. I seriously wouldn't have trusted TNA to put Jesus over the right <laughs> way. Like he would have come out. Hogan would interrupt him for a fourteen yeah. fucking promo. Yeah, yeah he'd have, have a really shitty promo up front. That, yes. that just made a little sense. Yeah. Just Let me tell little. you something, dude. You may have walked on water, okay? You may have healed Lazarus. You may have turned water into wine, but you would never turn to 24-inch pythons and anything. And first of all, I'm a, you know, I'm just going to start right now. How, how fucking dare Hulk Hogan? <laughs> he had some audacity. You could Seriously. finish that sentence in any fucking way you want to. But how fucking dare Hulk Hogan do anything ever? Fuck him. Right? Yep, fuck I'm, him. Comes out and runs two motherfuckers down on this show that absolutely has no Vietnam. You know, we'll get there. We'll get there. We're going to get there. We'll get there. Slow down. Um, it's a, it's yeah, okay, it no, a, It's okay. Yeah. It, it was a really big deal. And and like kind of what you were saying, Noah, and, and I'm sure you gentlemen agree, like Vince McMahon, he's a giant. And he does not have to move until he chooses to move. You mm -hmm. tell him, I'm invading your space. I'm coming for you, brother. <laughs> um, Vince says, I, hey, Brett, that's all he has to do. That's all. And it doesn't matter what the TNA could have done. Um, 
I now but before we get further in, I'm curious, uh, Mac, uh, Mr. Vandergrift, uh, what did you guys think, uh, first of all, of the idea that TNA was somehow going to uh, challenge the WWE anyhow in this space, which is laughable at best? It, it was absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, even as a casual TNA watcher, like you knew they didn't have the card. They didn't have the depth. They didn't have the creative. They had a six-sided ring, which was stupid. Like <laughs> it was really stupid. It's still but, stupid. It's, the idea is stupid to this day. But just the fact that Vince calls up Brett and says, "Hey, man, do me a solid. Just come, <laughs> just come to this show." And even people who had distanced themselves from the WWE after the Montreal screw job, it brought them back, regardless of what they thought of TNA. Oh yeah. Um, and and it was such a powerful thing to see as a wrestling fan, especially people like us who are overly obsessed with Bret the Hitman Hart. Um, no shame. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Not, I'm not ashamed. No shame at all. No shame at all, man. But, and, you know, part of us wanted them to go to blows right there because you could, you could <laughs> sense the tension and you're like, just mm -hmm. fucking have a match right now. And they didn't. And, and I, I'm thankful for that as well. And well, I think well. it had a lot of power and, you know, the only thing TNA did that was smart was not put Hogan at the front of the card. Yeah, I yep. agree with that. I feel because like they knew they weren't going to get the draw to start the show. No, I absolutely feel like I don't know who who let the cat out of the bag. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not even sure if Bruce Prichard was there at that time for that. I think show. he was in TNA. I okay, think he yeah. was. I knew I knew he was around that time and the time Bischoff was, but I wasn't sure because he he like a lot of people were in and out. Um yep. somebody was there that knew enough that Vince was gonna start Vince was not gonna pay attention to much you did on this show, but he was gonna start and end the show fucking strong. So what anything you really needed people to see had to happen in the middle. And that's yep. I I I almost want to I almost want to say it was probably Kevin Nash. <laughs> really maybe i mean I, I i love i love watching you know the broken skull sessions and, and the one that he did with with stone cold recently when he was talking about when he knew it was over for mm -hmm. wcw you know and uh you know watching you know because even though those guys weren't on the show they all still fucking watched you know they oh, yeah. still paid attention and he's like just, just the fact that like vince would have these and and, and we've talked about this too guys a video promo before a match on a pay-per-view was like watching the best movie trailers you've ever seen. Mm -hmm. You didn't even need to watch Monday Night Raw or SmackDown or any pay any attention to any of the shows, but watch that two and a half, three minute promo video before the match started and you were completely caught up and it was fucking riveting, right? And, you know, one of the things that I... It, it's it's so interesting because you know you got your your thoughts about what was going on when it happened mm -hmm. and then going back and watching it all over again at this stage 12 years later not as emotionally invested in it because you already knew what happened but being able to kind of watch it for what was actually happening and what they were trying to do and what they were planning i loved watching that whole thing with brett and with sean for what it didn't give me Mm -hmm. And that right there is what was so brilliant about what 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 WWE does 
and what its competitors haven't been able to figure out is that, you know, you were waiting for them to kind of like bury the hatchet and, you know, say sorry and, you know, kind of have that real life, what two people would do if they, you know, come back together 12 years later, if they, they done fucked up. Right. But instead it was, you know, Sean saying I would do it again. You know, there's a big part of me that, you know, um, <laughs> I knew what I was doing and I bet, you know, and you hear those things and you're like, well, wait a second, this isn't, exactly what i thought i was going here's i mean is, is brett gonna fucking sit there and take this is he gonna take the yeah. hand like they created something they recreated a part of that tension for everybody which set forward what ww ended up doing the next four months with that whole that whole program leading into to wrestlemania and when you go back and you look at what happened on tna when Hogan showed up eventually in that paper, in that, uh, in that show and everything, they didn't have that. They didn't have, they didn't have the plan. They didn't have the angle. They, they didn't give you something leaving you wanting more. They just basically gave you the same shit that ended WCW. And you just kind of think to yourself, well, they didn't learn. You know? Yeah, one thing that I don't know if you guys picked up on this and, you know, watching it back now, knowing how everything unfolded over the years at the end of that promo, when Brett calls out Vince and Vince doesn't come out and they cut to Vince in the back and he's like, I'm not watching that shit. I was in a meeting like <laughs> like I picked that up as he's talking about TNA. He's not talking. Oh, about absolutely. Brett. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, there's something, there's something going on right now. Yeah. Whatever. That's a good mm -hmm. call. Yeah. No, excellent call. Excellent call. I think it might be better for our, our our composure in our psyche. In let's, your composure. Uh because this is a conflicting thing. On one side, you have Vince McMahon not doing uh much else except dedicating the front and the middle the front the and the end of the show to the Montreal screw job. And the middle is largely completely forgettable filler. yeah it's just filler yeah yep uh and but doing that elicits an extreme emotional response from everybody longtime fans new fans they even told you everything you need to know if you didn't even know who the fuck these guys were right and on the other side on the other channel is tna doing the most tna thing that tna knows how to do and it's a fuck it's it's literally literally at some points turns into a fucking circus so um what I'd like to do, if this is okay with you, is let's just cover everything that we want to talk about on the raw side and the Montreal screw job side. Okay. Uh, and then we can flip that <laughs> shit sandwich over. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's the shit off the bottom. Yeah. Um, may I? Uh, Please. Uh, for a split second. So, uh, you know, and I feel like you and I have said this at least twice. Let's try not to make this a, a, a love letter to Bret Hart, but God damn it, it's almost always going to be. Yeah. Uh, I will. I there are two admissions I want to make to the audience and to you gentlemen about this this entire subject that we're covering today. One, I have a really hard time being uh, unbiased when it comes to Bret Hart's career because Bret Hart is the first wrestler who made me question: Was that real? Did he just fucking do? Was that? Did he really hit? He was just that fucking good, right? Mm -hmm. And on the other side. Uh, I have a real fucking hard time being unbiased with Hulk Hogan. 
Uh, and now, as a as an adult, and I can't, and it, it sucks. I cannot enjoy Hulkamania. I can't enjoy him slamming Andre. I can't enjoy him fighting Savage. I can't enjoy the whole fucking ride to WrestleMania fucking uh, five. It sucks because he's a piece of fucking shit. It is what it is. We gotta live with it. I gotta live with it. Mm-hmm. So I tried to approach this, not being irritated by his very fucking presence. It's impossible. Uh, yeah, it's hard. But you know, I try. Get that out of the way. So Monday Night Raw, <laughs> Bret Hart and fucking Sean. Look, how fucking interesting it was for me, right? To and it, I never even realized I hadn't watched any of the stuff from that Raw in years. So it was Goosebump City, you know, watch that happen again. I remember sitting yeah. watching that on the couch on the sectional at the estate back in the day, right? But there's one thing that didn't even click until now, years later, which is really fucking cool. Bret Hart and Mr. McMahon have a fucking face-off, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, all right, makes sense. They have issues. Hold the fuck on. Bret Hart. It's having a face-off against Mr. McMahon. Not Vince, Mr. McMahon. The fucking character he created. Yeah, the heel. And, and, and I, didn't even the ultimate heel. The gravity of Montreal creating the Mr. McMahon character. That is where it came. It wasn't Austin. Austin refined it and made it fucking explode to become the biggest heel in wrestling. Sure. But, but, if Montreal had never happened, there'd be no Mr. McMahon. Period. Point blank. End of story. He wouldn't exist. And to have those two have a fucking conversation in character like that was such a fucking marked out cool ass moment for me that I never even <laughs> never even realized how complex that actually is and how how one thing leads to another, one conversation, one disagreement, one side eye, one wrong line in a promo that leads down this path, whether it's a work or a shoot doesn't matter at this point, right, Noah? But what matters is Vince McMahon, the fucking evil CEO, the, the evil billionaire president, the evil leader of the WWF, the WWE, and the victim, Bret Hart. The, like, it just, it was, pure, it was poetry. It was perfect watching that happen now, years later, in hindsight being 2020. Um, I just thought it was really cool, and I'm, I'm glad you guys realized that, because I'd never put those two together when it happened. I was just caught up in the moment. Oh, no. But you play it back now, and you're like, "Oh, fucking that." Here's the thing, and uh, and, and and I think we can all perhaps agree on this. But it's really easy being WWE fans and watching WWE largely all of our lives because that's from Northeast kids to where we, you know, to it being a global thing today. It's largely been the most readily available pro wrestling to any of us for the entirety of our lives, right? And it's really easy to view WWE's product in a vacuum to where you're like, oh, it's not what it used to be. It's not this era. It's not the Attitude Era. How many times did we think during this era that the show takes place, and even a few years before, oh, God, man, it's just not like it was in 99 or 2000 or 2001. Then you fucking go Mm -hmm. back and watch that show, and you look how fucking stacked the shows are and how hot the crowds are and the fact that the ratings Mm -hmm. are still higher than they are today. It's really easy with WWE to look at it in a now-only bubble and not appreciate the fact that they have almost at any moment in time, the smartest available people in wrestling working for them at every moment in time. 
So they can do fucking things like layering like that. Um, a note that I, one of the few notes I have about WWE side of this is that WWE has always known how to give the people exactly what they want. They just have to choose to give it to them. And they largely deny us this for the sake of an <laughs> ultimate payoff that sometimes never comes. But they fucking gave it to us here. And it's and it's until it materialized in front of you, you didn't even fucking know that it was possible, much less you need it. And I'm glad that you made the fucking note, Doc, because I'm just going to say it now about my opinion that Montreal is a fucking work. It is not. Because it is absolutely <clears throat> a fucking work. But regardless if it is or not, Right. I watched the Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart and Vince McMahon segments twice. Once, letting my guard down as it happened, assuming like everybody else that it's a fucking shoot. And see in this instance in which these guys talk a few minutes backstage, come out, hash it out. You know, then, then they go out into the arena and cut their promos and work their angles and build to WrestleMania. And it still is fucking great. Right, because if it's if it is a shoe, you still have Shawn Michaels going into business for himself, which we all fucking know that he does, right? Or led to believe all these years that he does. And he goes into business for himself and he's like, I want you to know I still would have done it. Which is of course Shawn Michaels for some reason pretends to be a Jesus dude and has been since the minute he comes back. But the minute Bret Hart shows up in the ring, all of a sudden it's nineteen ninety seven and he's up. fucking back. <laughs> And a, and, a, and a nutshell, right? Like it's, like, it's like you just bring it back out of me. I don't even know I'm doing it anymore. Um, which it works in the idea that it's a shoot and we're, and it's, it is as we believe it is and it goes. But as a work, it's still fucking masterful because if it is a work, now bear with me, regardless of the fact that this is, that the Montreal screw job happened 13 years before this fucking show, right? That you're still in the ring with Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. And regardless, you want to say about their promos, they're not The Rock, right? But they're still Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. They're still multiple-time WWF champion. They still drew money as champion. They can still work, right? So it, they know how to tell a story. And if it is a work, if it is a work, then all they had to do was go out and play the exact same fucking people that they played in 1997 to the crowd. Shawn Michaels is a ruthless self-centered asshole who thinks he was doing the right thing by the company and Bret Hart thinks that he's Canadian Jesus and cannot do any wrong and really has nothing to apologize for uh, and that it, it just it's perfect what would have been different what would have been different and and, and, and what leaves defense yeah. he's Canadian and they do walk on water all the time it's just called ice <laughs> hockey it, there, there, it you go. there it is ice cold molten yeah. throws it over at street level um but no, but still, like it, it to me, this segment, which I believe it was work before this segment happened, but this segment to me is a fucking check in the work box. Because if that's really the fucking case, and you're really gonna have two guys go out there and bury the hatchet, are they gonna cut a very neat little promo on each other? It's gonna probably be a little sloppier than that. But no, it's exactly exactly what you would want out of the situation. Shawn Michaels is unremorseful, but Jesus. Bret Hart feels no feelings towards Shawn Michaels and is the baby face. And Vince McMahon, well, is Vince McMahon. So, he's, he's literally a carny. He's literally look, a carnival. Look, 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 look. I do not, and I try, I would never go out of my way to insult your intelligence, so yeah, I'm not going to. You do it all the time. Oh, you, you, I do not. 
Funny, um, well, first of all, you just did it there. And second, I well, I don't. Today, I don't. I say I don't a, go out of my way listener, to. <laughs> a listener brought up something to me this week, where <laughs> when we were mentioning the Mortal Kombat, they listened to the nine, Combat ninety five episode. I mentioned when you said that Mortal Kombat was the greatest video game movie of all time, and I said I stand by that. And you asked me what was, and I said that the newer Sonic the Hedgehog movie was better than Mortal Kombat 95. And you fucking screamed into the microphone, you motherfucker, you lie where you sit. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds about right. That's exactly what you said. And you deserve every word of it. I I mean, I might have, but still talking Mm -hmm. about coming at me. So so just saying, you said that to me, and you won't have consensual penetration with the Sega channel. So uh, no. What, what else? What else but, you got to say? So again, like back to the subject at hand, my friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, I will not go on my way to insult your intelligence. I would never try to do that on purpose. Uh, I am. Not, I don't think you're wrong uh, at all uh, in this particular situation. I don't think that, and I never thought at any point, personally, as a fan, as a consumer of that the medium, I never assumed that that entire exchange was a work at all. It can't be. Uh, too much has happened for them to come out and just spitball like that. that, that you think, do you really? I don't think that Vince McMahon would actually let them go on national fucking live television and just shoot from the fucking hip like that. Oh, no way. No, no, no. So, no, and I, every, imply that, I mean, no. look, well, I mean, that's kind of what I got from what you were saying. No, uh, I think that it was clearly the whole conversation was obvious, not scripted necessarily. Those guys don't do scripting. You get your bullet points, you're going to get across, and then you go with it. I think that, you know, what they felt was pretty, how they felt, you know, I mean, I know you think it's a work, and that's all well and good. We can be on two separate islands on that one. Uh, But from my perspective, you put these two very proud men on national television to air how they feel, they're not going to come out and just shit talk each other. They're past that point. They're, They're parents. Uh, some of them have changed and have dropped their drug habits, things like that, you know. Uh, and they, I felt like it was so awkward because it was from how they felt. You know what I mean? They had to get to a point, they had to shake hands, and they had to hug, or maybe the hug was a surprise, who knows, you know. But I believe that, you know, Montreal, I think we're going to, this is why we should revisit it. I think that. Montreal, everything that led to it was a work, and they worked themselves into a shoot, as we've all heard that term. Mm-hmm. It got out of hand real fast, real hard, and what could have been big money ended up being a shitty situation for everybody involved. Um, but years later, I, I truly believe that, you know, them standing in the ring like that yeah, it was very controlled, very controlled, very monitored. But the money is in the truth, how you feel, you know? So I think Sean was telling him how he felt. I feel, I'm, I'm quite sure he feels like, yeah, I've fucking done it again. I felt strongly about it. And Brett, you know, awkwardly enough, didn't really have a rebuttal to that, if you really pay attention to what he says, you know? Like, Instead of having like a, a comeback that's more of like a a, a a work like well you know no he just goes well you weren't the easiest person to get along with either you know no I see I, I to me that's where it reeked into Shawn Michaels doing what Shawn Michaels do and again to blur the line between work <laughs> shoot a little bit and you're like all right um, 
Sean, I want you to go out there and count the three and then let the other person go four, five, six. And Shawn Michaels counts one, two, three, four, five, and then leaves you about a half a second to slip your six in. <laughs> like, cause that's what he does, right? right? That's what he, that's, and he just, of course, Bret Hart, who was, had maybe said uh, his retirement speech was the only thing he said on WWE TV since Montreal. And it was at the Hall of Fame. He's, and again, blurring the lines there between work and shoot. Uh, he probably is just trying to get in and out because he knows that the that he's signed himself up for a train ride of a show to work with Vince McMahon going into WrestleMania. Let's just get through this. But Sean sees this as you know Sean's chance to be Sean. You know, I don't yeah. even I don't even think that it was Sean's chance to be Sean. I think that the way that that played out was extremely controlled. What I'm most interested in is the conversations that happened behind the scenes, backstage, mm -hmm. that convinced everybody that there is money in this and let's let's take it in this direction, right? You know, um, the fact that it was Brett who, you know, was the one to offer the olive branch. Like, I mean, look, when you're wronged by somebody, when you're legitimately wronged by somebody, are you the person to call up the other person who fucked you over, who put it, who put their finger four knuckles deep into your asshole and be like, I want to make amends of this. That's not how it works, right? The no. person who was wrong and the person who initiated the act is the person who extends the olive branch and says, I'm sorry for what I did and my place in that. And I want to make things better because I mean, look, the, if you're the person who goes up to the other person and says, um, you wronged me. Cool. Let's go ahead and make up. You're kind of being a little bit of a bitch there where that's concerned mm -hmm. because you're basically letting the person know that you wronging me is kind of still okay. Right. Which then goes yeah. back to, you know, the the work versus the shoot piece of it. Because, you know, if if it is a shoot, how do you get Bret Hart? And I've seen the interviews, right? We've all watched the documentary. We've read the book. We've we've listened to everything he has had to say about that. How are you the person to go ahead and say, I want to offer the olive branch now? That's that's the angle of this that that brings the I want to know what those real conversations were like the months or years leading up to everybody convincing that this was a good idea to do this and and the direction they wanted to go in, because that's where the real shit goes on. And, you know, if it is a if it was a shoot, you know, that's where the interesting stuff is. But everything I think everything they did from the moment Brett's music hit until the end of that pay-per-view was completely agreed upon by all parties. And mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, you guys say we're going to have Sean be Sean, but you can't have Sean be Sean and say that to Brett. If it's a, if it was a, if it was a shoot and Brett, not pop him in his fucking face, like right oh, there yeah, in front or, of everybody. Right. Or walk I, out and not come I, I, I would do it again, you know, and, and just the things that he said to, to, to Brett, you can't say that to somebody that you wronged if you don't already know they're going to say that. So I think everything that they ended up doing as a part of that was known. 
and, Absolutely. and was was completely um, put in there because otherwise Brett's going to knock Sean out in front of in front of fourteen thousand people in the Nutter Center. I just have to say that too. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was the Nutter Center. This was in Dayton, Ohio. The show, everybody, in the Nutter Center, and I think that that is you know worth worth saying. Um, now, and then the now, millions. Matt, I I wanted to answer your, try to answer your question actually. Yeah. Uh, it was a really good question, and none of us are Brett or Sean or Vince or anybody, the, the parties involved, but if there's one thing I think we can all agree upon with the man known as Brett Hart uh, from Canada, uh, is that he takes himself and his career incredibly seriously. Super serious. So serious, in fact, that it led to the Montreal screw job. <laughs> if it was, in fact, a shoot. Um mm -hmm. You ask, like, well, how does he get from point A to point B to the show, right? How does he – everything that happened, happened. It was a bad situation. Feelings were hurt, blah, 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 blah. You know, uh, a, a messed up WCW run, you know, losing his brother, a stroke later, end a career horribly. A lot of fucked up shit happened Hashtag in a short amount of time. Yeah, we do, that's a whole other – also another conversation for another time. Yes. Um, you guys – hate Goldberg for that so much. Here's the oh, fucking no. thing. I don't like Goldberg before that. Yes. <laughs> I didn't right? like him before that. Right. It, 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 yeah, for sure, for sure. But that that alone is enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's, oh, that's, what else do you mean? Um but yeah, so I think the the reason but like, I don't I don't hold back. the same animosity that you guys hold for Goldberg as to when Stone Cold, you know, got you know pile drived and broke his fucking neck in the ring. Like we, you guys take it so personally, and that's because of how much you love Bret Hart, and I and I, and I get that. Um, but sorry to, to 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 go on, Jones. Yeah. Um, oh boy. Uh, so anyhow, uh, the, the 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 deal is, I think the reason he gets from point A to point B, he gets from not working with the WWE to working with the WWE again, is is honestly for his legacy, for his image, for his ego, for his for his career, what's left of it, right? He says something very interesting in that when he came out and talked, he says, you know, I want to thank you guys for keeping me in your heart, keeping me alive, keeping my history, who I am, going, right? Because even though the WWF, you know, had no problem, you know, because they own all his matches, right? The, is the, the reality is that, you know, Bret Hart loves Bret Hart more than anybody else. You yeah. know, and he needed he needed absolutely needed to get this done whether it was for millions of dollars or whatever you know bret hart needs the hitman to live on he needs to be in the fake hall of fame i said it <laughs> he needs to he needs to have his accolades because that's how the hitman exists because he's uh, the excellence of execution right i mean yeah, yeah. Best there is was never will be. yeah no i mean yeah I, just I, that, go ahead no no i'm sorry jafar you go for it yeah, I was going to say, I think you hit the nail on the head with the word legacy. Like, I think that's what it comes down to. You know, the hitman takes himself so serious and he wanted the fans to take him as serious as he takes himself. Mm -hmm. And he didn't get that in WCW because WCW was a shit promotion. Because it will and, WCW. <laughs> yeah. And I think he felt like his star had fallen. And the only way to get that back up was to come back home, if you will to the WWE. And, but, and I think, you know, the, I think the animosity was real, I, but I also think the respect was real between those two guys. And 
as a fan, that's really all you wanted out of the entire promo. But, but let, let's let's kind of talk about that real quick here, though, just to play devil's advocate for a second. You take Brett's experience in WCW even off the table and 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 everything afterwards uh, of him leaving WWE after the Montreal Screwjob. You can't have a conversation with a wrestling fan and talk about who are the greatest wrestlers of all time. And everybody will say Bret Hart. He's yeah. always going to be in the conversation. You know, regardless of how his career ended, regardless of his stint in WCW, regardless of any of those things. Um, so, you know, I, I would sit there and say, playing devil's advocate, that how what, what kind of a greater legacy do you need to have? Whether it's for yourself or for your family or for your ego or for Canada or anything else. Because it's already known that in the greatest wrestlers of all time, Bret Hart is always in that conversation. And um, when you look at how wrestling changed, you know, what he was able to do, his legacy is the fact that CM Punk was one of the longest reigning WWE champions of all time, because that never happens if Bret Hart doesn't come along or, you know, Daniel Bryan or anybody who's under 250 pounds getting a title doesn't happen without Bret Hart doing what he did. So, you know, all those things aside, I think his legacy was very well cemented uh, by what he already put on tape prior to that. You're not wrong. Yeah, yeah um, but I, I, will, I will cover, I, if I may, just I just want to say one thing, and I will leave the table for this. Uh, you are not wrong, and you valid points, but I will counter what you said simply this. Bret Hart, and you're right, in the minds of many fans, young and old, who didn't even watch him wrestle, you know, in his prime, regard him as one of the great in-ring performers ever, period, period. However, you know what would be even nicer, man? Get in that Hall of Fame, Mac. Hall of Fame solidifies you, dude. It, 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 it is a big deal, because Bret Hart may be the excellence of execution, he may be the best there is, was, but the ever will be comes when you get in the Hall of Fame. I really feel like that's the deal. Getting that well ring, said. getting that nod. He gets the nod, man. It's one thing for internet fans or hardcore tape traders uh, to 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 laud him as like the greatest of all time or one of. It's arguable, but it's another thing to get the nod in the Hall of Fame. That's a totally different ball game for all professional wrestlers, wrestlers who didn't even wrestle in the WWF get in the Hall of Fame, and it's a big deal. And I really think that's what it boils down to. Ego. Getting in the Hall of Fame was the single, one of the single most important things because it then, it, it, it validated everything that he said. It validated all he felt about himself. It validated all the chants, let's go, Brett. It validated his five championship, heavyweight championship wins. That's, that's, that's it. That's the end game for him is the Hall of Fame. And it was a big fucking deal for me as a fan, I've watched more Bret Hart matches than any other wrestler that I can fucking think of. More than once. But him going into the Hall of Fame was such a big deal for me. Bigger than any other Hall of Fame induction will ever be for me in my, my entire lifetime. So that's what I think. It's the Hall of Fame. Yeah, uh, I, th I think to kind of add into that, um, to kind of take a slightly different approach to it, uh, Bret has always publicly 
regarded himself as a wrestler's wrestler, right? Uh, comes from a, a, a family of wrestlers. Um, taught a, a, a guy whose single greatest accomplishment from his own words is never hurting another person in the ring, right? Like that's that's how he esteems. He, he, he levels up the work above all else. That's how he justified all of his business decisions when he was champion, how he how he put together his matches, the work, the wrestling, the work. And from Brett's perspective, that what that comes into is is recognition for the work from from his peers and the people he did the work for. And it wasn't I think there's going to be enough of us if Brett never came back and never did this, there'd be enough of us to this day that would keep doing what you said, Mac, have the conversation about the greatest of all time and throw Bret Hart's name in there, you know, and you'll never be able to come up with a concrete, definitive greatest wrestler of all time the way we did with proving mathematically that Die Hard is a Christmas movie or any of those other things or the way we will one day prove that Bad Boys 2 is a watchable film. But what we what the Hall of Fame nod could do is that wrestlers are notoriously inclusive to themselves, exclusive to others. And they're about the what? The cash and the creative, the money and the miles, right? Mm -hmm. And for every Bret Hart fan that we are and the Bret Hart fans of, that are workers, there were people that worked alongside Bret Hart that weren't in Bret Hart's position that have just as loud a voice as Bret Hart does in 20, 2009, 2008 before this that can say, well, Bret wasn't a draw. Brett wasn't didn't wasn't with the WWF at their biggest time in either of the he wasn't on top in either of the two biggest times in the company. What does Brett have to do, right? Who where is the the recognition for Brett? Where is that? But by mending the fences and having Vince McMahon now come out and publicly say that Brett Hart is one of the greatest WWF champions of all time. And Vince McMahon has said that he thinks that Brett Hart was the most important WWF champion that they ever had because he was the champion between the two eras that kept the WWF in business. Um, and for Vince's perspective, having Bret Hart legitimizes this fake Hall of Fame idea. You can put Hulk Hogan in there and you can put Steve Austin in there. But for everyone else, that it's like, well, what is a wrestling Hall of Fame? Well, it's about the journey, right? And who's a more journeyman wrestler? So I think chasing that down was 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 important for Bret because then it became indisputable. Once this whole thing and, and that now his his legacy is back and which is important to Bret was the work. Uh, and like that meme we sent we sent to each other, well, two weeks ago, uh, Bret Hart said, "At best, uh, wrestlers today don't wrestle like Hulk Hogan. Wrestlers today wrestle like Bret Hart." Yep, yep. Well, I mean, Bret was inducted in the Hall of Fame in 2006, so you're doing this four years later, mm -hmm. right? So you know, whatever whatever fences needed to be mended were mended, you know, years before we we got to this, you yeah. know. Um, so, but that's, that's the thing. It's like, you know, why do it now? Why do it in 2010? Why not do it in, in when he's getting inducted into a hall of fame or leading into that? Why was the timing where it was to make that work? Was it more along <laughs> the lines of him getting his father inducted into the hall of fame? Um, because I mean, that was what that was when Stu was, was inducted. Um, mm -hmm. and just work the angle at that point because he had another angle. But, you know, so go ahead and talk to me about this, Noah. 
I got this. Maybe it was because some other asshole thought that he could restart the Monday Night Wars (laughs) on the same day. (laughs) Some asshole named Hulk Hogan. That's it. That's exactly what it is. Because as as deep and as personal and as important to wrestling and Vince McMahon and everybody as Bret Hart and Vince McMahon is, and nobody fucking pissed Vince McMahon off more than Hulk Hogan doing what the fuck Hulk Hogan going to do. And Vince McMahon will eat uh, any amount of shit as long as he doesn't have to eat Hulk Hogan shit ever again. He ate 83 weeks of that shit. He went to a mm-hmm. steroid trial dealing with that shit, okay? So, and when they're on the same page, they're best friends now, and they're printing fucking money and all of that other horse shit. But when Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan don't like each other, motherfuckers go to at each other's throats. And that's what it is. Vince is like, well, fuck. Gotta show Terry. Fuck him. Call up Brett. Let's get a thing going. WrestleMania. Oh, Brett can't bump Vince. I don't fucking care. Have him. Have him. Have every. (laughs) You know what? Brett, what does it take? Do you want every single member of the Hart family plus the help that works at their houses to come out to the ring at WrestleMania and slap me in the face with a fucking dildo? We'll do it. Just to prove Terry can eat an ass. There's there's an SNL skit from from the early 2000s where um molly molly shannon played sally o'malley i don't know if you guys ever remember that where she's just wearing the red jumpsuit and she's like i'm 50 i'm gonna kick i'm gonna stomp i'm gonna stretch i'm 50 i think that was vince mcmahon basically telling bret hart that he could do this match at wrestlemania it's like listen everything you're going through i understand but look at how old i am and i'm gonna fall over this table and let your family all take it take bumps on me so what more do you? What more can you really want at this point? Um, now, I I would love this opportunity to to morph into that WrestleMania match. We're not going to do it because as much as I'd love to continue to take the piss out of Vince McMahon and lift up Bret Hart on to the higher echelon he deserves, uh, and but more importantly, as much as I'd love to fucking get really pissed off about Bruce Hart, which is going <laughs> to happen on this show one day, because yeah. ain't no family have the level of fuck up. My brother Drew watches this show, listens to this show, and he's my family's fuck up. And Drew will never, on his worst day, reach the level of Bruce Hart. And I feel like I need to go on a rant about that. But before I rant about that, what we need to talk about is is the fact that WWE opened up this Raw with Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels standing in the ring. And in response to that, TNA opens up the 2010 Monday Night War. Now, now here's the idea. I don't understand. This, it's impossible to tell a stupid person that they're stupid or a truly selfish person that they're selfish. They, they lack the comprehension and the skill to understand this. You cannot put your head in the space that it takes to book this fucking shit. It doesn't, it can't happen organically. You can't put yourself in the spot. But TNA decides to point out and bring up that the fact that they're different on their Monday Night War by having a steel asylum match to open up this fucking show. Well, you know, Noah, when you when you have a birthday party, right, and your kid, you get all these brand new toys, right? And and you wanna you wanna play with them so bad, right? Mm-hmm. You just wanna go right for it. Yeah. But the first thing you decide to do is open up the playset. 
And that's basically what they did. And you guys said something early on about one of the things that drew you to TNA was the X division, which is, you know, essentially yeah. what this is. So, you know, if you think <laughs> about it, if we're playing again, just playing devil's advocate here for a moment, if you're going to go ahead and book in the show with really your two strongest pieces, you can open the show with an asylum match, which which I'm just waiting for somebody to break their neck in this premise on this. Oh, thing. my God. And yeah. and then obviously how they close the show with their their two biggest pieces, um, their, their two biggest wrestlers. But, um, you know, I, I don't know that it was necessarily a a bad idea on how to start it out. I think it was poorly executed. Oh, oh. man. So poorly executed. Yeah, was great. It's not great. No. For the listeners that are are going, I would insist that you watch this just to understand the fucking hilarity of what we're about to tell you about. But the Steel Asylum uh, is a steel cage similar to the Hell in a Cell, but round for some reason. That because because the six sides that wraps up up over the fucking cage over the ring uh similar to i mean i don't know if anyone's ever seen a diaphragm but uh it looks like a fucking diaphragm okay yeah standing over the ring i was gonna but, say like one of those uh water bottles that you have at work but flipped upside down but i mean hey, diaphragms yo. diaphragms better thank you very much for that one, it, Noah. it's a diaphragm but also like a shitty diaphragm that your your girlfriend insists work it's got a big hole right in the middle at the apex and whereas a uh, and just like a diaphragm, it's got a bunch of little guys inside, <laughs> and one's <laughs> inevitably gonna peek its way through the center and escape. That's the theory, right? Uh, is that it's a multiple fucking man X division match, which I understand. It's the X division started off, and the fact that you have the entire X division seems to be in this goddamn match, including <laughs> the X division champion, but his title's not on the line for reasons. Fucking figure that out, right? And so the first right. one to escape he probably this wasn't going to be strong enough to get out through the hole. That's well, probably I, why I think the title wasn't on the line. Oh man, I, I think that's what you're going to have to assess with here. Is that there are let's let's kind of what we had we had Chris Sabin and Alex Shelley, we had the Motor City Machine Guns, right? Who are a you know an excellent Ring of Honor and and uh, TNA mainstays, right? You had right. Homicide, fucking Homicide. Yeah. And, and you had suicide, and you had pesticide, and you had herbicide, right? and yeah, you had yeah. exactly. patricide, and you, you know, you had um, you had amazing, amazing red, who is the the, right. the X division champion at that time. Uh, so amazing red, truthfully, one of the only serious things we'll say about the show, uh, is an incredibly talented wrestler who just never seemed to get a break outside of TNA. Uh, yeah, and you had uh, you had Kiyoshi, and you had this is interesting to me. Fucking Xavier Woods and a young consequence queen, queen baby. I love it. Right. And and it's okay, of course. And you had Jay Lethal doing the Macho Man gimmick, right? Right. So you had all of these guys in this match, and I can't definitively name whether everyone in this match was strong enough to do that. But Xavier Woods was and still is to this day built like a brick shit house, right? Right. That guy could have gotten out of the ring. I'm, I'm just saying, when was the last time you hit the monkey bars at the playground and went all the way? <laughs> oh, no. I mean, it's been a long time. I was way, I mean, I was way skinnier last time I even attempted to do that. Now I just hold my child up 
and you know and sells well she she sells it too like we're struggling to get across it but regardless no this was no one should have had to have done this because it was a shitty concept and what's the point of having another person win this match in a shitty way if the title's not on the line right so so this this whole horse shit happened High spot after high spot, and there were some cool spots in this. Let's not let's not get it wrong. I think Jay there were some was... awkward ones too. There oh, were yeah. some awkward ones. Yeah, it was a very spot-driven match. Oh yeah. my god, yeah. Oh, it all ends with homicide and his fucking <laughs> baton clear in the ring because, of course, including and, his partner, including his partner. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> in 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 WCW true WCW fashion, in a gimmick match. That is full of nothing but high spots. The difference maker is a random foreign object that had nothing to do with the story of the match. Like it's inserted, and then Homicide fucking climbs his way slowly to the top, and then time stops. It just stopped for over <laughs> seventy fucking seconds. The camera had to <laughs> cut away. Can't climb out. He no. can't get out. The camera has to cut away. <laughs> You go, go to weird <laughs> angles to show this thing. Yeah. How uncomfortable well, there is was, that? There was nowhere. I mean, if you look at too at how that thing, I, I, I was really paying attention to this. Um, how they had that thing constructed, there was no way to get. Like, I don't know if anybody tested this before they decided to no put it in the ring way. or anything. No, they didn't. But, no, they but didn't. like the the grip points in anything you could possibly use, because everybody, if you're, if picture like if you're a rock climber. And they have to go in those inverted ceilings in order to, like, you yep. know, go up. And then it goes this way. And then they have to go up again. And they're basically hanging with just their hands and whatever grip they can kind of hold on to in order to get past this ceiling and get back to the next part. That's how this thing was designed. Except the pieces in the rings got smaller as you got to the opening. So there was no place to actually grab onto or hold on to. And no matter how strong these guys are, this you don't see this shit watching American Ninja Warrior. No. They're, they're not cruel enough to do this to anybody on that show who's trained to handle it. No, no. Uh, Jeff Jarrett on his podcast about this exact instance said that they never did a dry run on this match mm -hmm. beforehand because, and I quote, they didn't want anybody getting hurt when they were running through <laughs> the show. <laughs> Which should fucking tell you that this is not a good enough idea to put on your live television show as the opening segment on, on your Monday Night Wars. But it fucking happens. Homicide can't do it. He can't do it. He nope. stays up there for all of eternity. The the world gets and the fan and then he gets down and he just starts hitting people with the baton. <laughs> I want to know if during these seventy seconds that he was up there, did he is that what he came up with, right? Like if that's the only way out. And then they take a steel cage eight man match, um, or what nine man match or whatever it is, ten man, whoever the fuck knows, and they decide it's a no contest. There's no winner because nobody can win the match, and. <laughs> Some, in the truest WCW gonna WCW fashion, on the biggest night of your company's existence, on the opening segment of your fucking Monday Night Wars, <laughs> your fans boo you. They don't <laughs> boo the crowd. They boo the show, and you are precisely one segment it's, into this fucking thing. It's it's it's, am <laughs> it's amazing. You, you know he's got to be sitting up there like forty five seconds into his seventy seconds of terror. 
just motherfucking <laughs> every single person who thought this was a good idea. And you know, like at some point, 60 seconds in, somebody from the side of the ring just said, fuck it, drop, pull off the stick and beat the shit out of everybody. You're never going to get just out starts, otherwise. Just start yeah. swinging. But, you know, props to them having a backup plan. If this wasn't going to work. That's not yeah. that's not the best part, though. That's not the best part. The best part is after he beats the shit out of these guys, he decides I'm going to triumphantly stand atop this fucking cage. I'm going to do it again. So he goes fucking back up <laughs> and he can't do it again. <laughs> he can fucking do it again. <laughs> so everybody else starts climbing and the homicide who can't get out drops down so then all these guys again. drop down <laughs> oh my god oh my god well that leads us to uh jeff hardy one of many hardy. pointless fucking returns this night what how many checks were cut <laughs> for this show all he for did was walk down returns. and finish on the top of your girlfriend's diaphragm and it was just like he, and then like the like the music plays I, look and i didn't watch tna enough before to know what his music sounded like before and I'm, i don't know if that was it and i don't think it was so the music plays it seems like no one in the fucking audience knows what the fuck is even happening who's and then it's jeff hardy he was like hey it's jeff and homicide almost looks fucking surprised although i'm sure he had to have known that jeff was coming they have an awkward, mm-hmm. like, tussle, and then Jeff just comes atop the cages and sits there. Maybe, maybe he didn't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe he didn't actually know Hardy was coming. Maybe somebody backstage said, Jeff, maybe he Jeff, didn't. Jeff, get out there now. Get out there, do something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The only do way something. to save that match was to have him do show something up. to save this segment. Oh my god! You know, I, I I think that probably was the conversation backstage. <laughs> everything's going Truly. wrong. So everything's bad. going wrong. Somebody needs to save this segment quick. Get out there now. Send a WWE guy out door. there. <laughs> just just go ahead and climb and sit there. Just sit. There. Just sit. Just look at everybody. Just look. <laughs> That's all he did. Guys, and then here's the fucking best part: the motherfucker doesn't come back on the TNA TV for months after that. No, what no. the fuck was the point of him showing up there? <laughs> dude, there was no point. Dude, like you, you if you were like, and we all know that this this whole show tends to be one colossal fuck up with a few tiny <laughs> acceptable things thrown in of oh, just just for posterity because it's real. But if you were to design the worst possible opener to an important card, could you statistically put it? Like the only thing missing is one of the wrestlers visually shitting their pants on television. That's the only thing. Homicide at one point screams fuck while he's dangling from this cage too far up to go down, too far down to go up. Like story of life. How could you you should should get that put on a TV? Just get that put on a t shirt or something, Noah. Just for the fucking record. Just get that printed somewhere. God damn. That was deep. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That should have just been the intro. Too far down to go up, too far off to go down. It's TNA. TNA. But then we go after oh, that. I, I mean, like, I don't really want to like go item by item on this show, but the show has such strange horseshit happens that the first person you see 
Jeff Hardy interact with after the commercial break, after that fucking shit show, is Shannon Moore. Like, that fucking matters to anybody. And the, the, the response that you guys just gave me is the response of the collective people watching. They go, oh, yeah, fucking Shannon. <laughs> like that. Like, that's the fucking guy. He goes back. And then you got to. And then also something that, that was lost on me, because when you're talking about Monday Night Raw, you you it's easy to forget until you turn it on. That you have Jr. in the king. Over so much. Like that. That's not what we had tonight. No, we had Mike Tanay yeah, and fucking Taz. Taz. <laughs> well, I, I'm not going to disparage or shit talk Mike Tanegs. I think he's a great play-by-play uh, -play guy. Uh, great, I, great I, I love his knowledge. It's, it's second to none, honestly. Um, Taz is a fine color commentator, honestly. I mean, he's yeah. pretty good at what he does. The fact that he went from being... Let's just take a second and just appreciate Taz for mm -hmm. where he started in his professional wrestling career as a fucking, like, mindless, you know, wild man, the Tasmaniac, right? To be bumping in upstate uh, New York. The fucking FTW champion, to being the thug life guy, to being a fucking co a competent, solid, and, re and reliable fucking announcer is pretty goddamn impressive if you really want to, mm -hmm. you know. But... Let me fucking tell you something. Jim Ross is the greatest of all time. Yeah. Oh, I mean, without... And, and to be fair, he wasn't on Raw, unfortunately. He should have fucking been. But... Any comparison. If you want to say Monday Night War, you think of, you know, burning, you know, all, all the candles are burning on all the ends, the cylinders are all pumping, Mike Tanay and Taz ain't it. It just ain't it, and and they do a fine job, but it it's, it feels second rate. No offense to them. Again, not disparaging them. It sounds like I am, <laughs> but it feels fucking second rate. No, I think you could absolutely put in the idea that both uh both men are talented individuals and in, in whatever they exactly apply themselves to, but together it also, though. But, but commentary is a partnership. And it is about mm -hmm. who you're with. JR, a great example is that when they split JR and the King up and they sent Cole to Raw and they sent JR to SmackDown to team with Mick Foley, it didn't work. Even though JR is the greatest of all time and Mick Foley could fucking sell ice to an Eskimo, the two of them together just didn't work, right? Uh, and the same thing is here right. too. You put Cole and, uh, and Taz together and they were fucking great. You put uh, Tanae up alongside Shivani and Heenan, and you've got the voices of Nitro in the Cruiserweight division. And, right. and the reason why Rey Mysterio is a fucking thing to begin with, and Eddie Guerrero and Chris Jericho and all of these, Dean Malenko has a career because Mike Tanae Googled him once, right? So this whole fucking thing <laughs> works, right. but together it just didn't it didn't work out. Um, and I don't and I don't want to shit off, but that's that's the voices we got going on here. So it's almost like someone's putting two negative ends of the battery together and is trying to power something it's just not gonna it's just not gonna work but together they were not greater. Wanna, together no. they were lesser no. yes exactly exactly i again i'm I trying to avoid going segment by segment but the very next segment after this is is a small sidebar i want to take it's that we see kevin nash come out for his interview segment or he's in the back and they're asking kevin nash uh, what do you think about T hogan being in tna and nash 
uh, says that he's the smartest man in wrestling, but with Hogan comes more money and he's excited to talk to Hulk about all that, which basically sets up where Nash's stance is going to be on this. But I think that this is one of the greatest travesties that this show does. And I'll tell you why with Nash, because everyone's got opinions on everything in wrestling. And a lot of us smart fans, you put it that way, have strong opinions on Kevin Nash. But I believe that what Kevin Nash did in TNA when he came in, up until about 2008, was some of the best work Kevin Nash ever did in wrestling. He I mean he's he was huge at NWO and as Diesel and super important. And he and he came back for a couple of cups of coffee in WWF and always did interesting things. But fucking Nash in TNA in 2006 went on this this run where he decided uh, that he was going to be in the X division. Yes. And. <laughs> And but but and the one thing you can say about Kevin Nash with others, you like him or not, when the man wants to be funny, the man can be funny. And the shit he did partnering himself with the X Division guys and elevated a lot of these guys who didn't know the reason why Jay Lethal was got the, the whole black machismo gimmick and got over in that regard is because they, they put him and Saban and Shelly and a bunch of guys in with Kevin Nash. And he did this fucking thing where he's, he came out and did a press conference that said that he was going to lend his star power to the X division and that he was going to come out and start at the Kevin Nash bound for glory X division, open invitational battle Royal gauntlet for the gold. That was the name <laughs> of the match. And you had to say the whole fucking thing every time. And it was perfect. It was excellent. And then, and then Nash is doing that great shit and doesn't have to pretend that he's the serious dude or, but as soon as the show starts, it's like, someone's like, all right, go into the back of Nash, unscrew the battery pack behind him and flick the WCW. I don't fucking care. Kevin Nash. Yeah. switch. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. He seems so uninterested. And I don't know if that was on purpose or not, if he meant it to come across that way, but it was like, I felt like, well, he's not pumped. <laughs> he doesn't like he's the, interested the in Nash this. before this is motivated to work with guys, but the Nash shows up on this show and is there for until he leaves and eventually power bombs punk uh, during the summer of punk thing is completely disinterested in everything he does. Yeah, he was NWO Nash at that yeah. point. He saw that, that opportunity weird. and that's that's what we got. The fucking travesty. It's a fucking fucking travesty right there but all right we get some other shit that happens on the show uh <laughs> another who gives a fuck i mean first of all i did note that there's only four segments that happen in this on the entire show four segments not four matches there's four segments that don't ultimately end up involving an ex wwe talent four uh the next couple segments are not one of them we get a new women's champion but right. the big one that comes out of that is Ric Flair arrives. Ric Flair arrives in TNA because he does. for no reason. Oh, wait, hold another check oh, no. cut. Yeah. Yep. For no another reason. Check. For no reason other than uh, Vince told him he's retired, and Vince and Ric Flair says, "The fuck I am. I owe a lot of money <laughs> to a lot of people. Want. I got to keep bumping." Uh, <laughs> it's and true. So, <laughs> and so he goes to AJ Styles' locker room. In a segment, and mm -hmm. and there you go. Then we see Mick Foley show up. Can't get in. <laughs> yeah, and Foley can't get in. Of course, Foley had been a part of TNA and doing doing some of his work before that. And then Bobby Lashley shows up. 
because because we're just we're just pouring it all in there. Yeah. Oh my god! And then some segments later, Sean Waltman and Scott Hall show up. Yep, they bought tickets. <laughs> Another they bought tickets. Two checks, front row. Let's count the WCW-isms that just happened in the three minutes of fucking recapping. <laughs> you have disinterested Kevin Nash. You have slightly, <laughs> slightly wasted. You have super high Scott, uh, Sean Waltman. Yeah, he didn't even high. know he was there. Oh, my God. No. They, were, they were both stuff. They had to. Fucking be. gone. Yeah. Uh, Hall and Waltman there show up. And uh, yeah, Ric Flair just randomly walks into someone's locker room, right? Out of a limousine. That room. actually sounds like something Ric Flair would do. Yeah, but you know, uh, as we would find out, did he have consent to do it? Well, that is that probably is, not. You know, well, good question. Probably not, as we find out, right? And then, but all of this horseshit happens. All of this horseshit happens to build up to the middle of the goddamn show. Now, one slight note before we we talk about this person is that one of the hallmarks of WCW, WCWing all over something was the fucking shitty music. WCW <laughs> had some... WCW is like, what have someone's like, I got a great idea for a song. And WCW is like, hold on, let me fuck that up real fast for you. And then that's the song they would use. Pick a thing and that's what they would do. And then, But whoever did the music for TNA on this night was like, I've got an idea. Have you ever heard the NWO theme? Well, yeah. Have you ever heard the NWO theme played out of someone driving past you's car while you're inside working on power tools? Yeah. That's what Hulk Hogan's going to come out here to today. It's like someone with a fucking bus saw. Well, somebody hums the NWO theme over it. <laughs> fucking, fucking brutal. And it immediately, I black that out of my mind until this fucker comes out. And it's like, oh my God. So the one of the things that i i made a note about while watching this is that vince mcmahon fully understands production value mm -hmm. there is money put into the stage there's money put into the telecast there's money put into the show it is not just about what happens in the ring vince gets the entertainment piece of wrestling i think better than anybody ever has and probably better than anybody ever will i mean hell he invented most of it right so mm -hmm. you see and 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 one of the things that I, I kept thinking about here guys is that you know i looked at tna and i just drew so many parallels to aew in terms of its its origination, its genesis, it building young talent that doesn't want to go the, the the WWE route, having some guys that are names to kind of like build around and some guys to kind of mentor. Uh, and then WCW just got too big for themselves and just brought everybody that was that they could that had a name and it just got too overcrowded and a lot of their own guys got lost in the shuffle right i don't want aew to go down that road but you know i i look at some of the production value of of aew and i'm looking you know you guys gotta this is where the money's gotta go 
you know, especially for a television show. And, and you know, you can have a shitty match. I mean, we've watched a lot of shitty matches on, on <laughs> Monday Night Raw and SmackDown oh over the years. I remember Jones, my, my favorite my favorite example of this was it was a uh, it was a steel it was a steel cage match um, between Batista and Chris Jericho, and it was um, it was a terrible match, and we always would joke that Chris Jericho could wrestle the broom and make it work, and he pretty much did in that match because right. Batista was awful <laughs> in, in that, and you could see Jericho knew it. And he's like, "Oh, I'm just gonna make a <laughs> out of this because I, I, this is what I do." Um, right. But you know, as you're talking about the music, you talk about, you know, the other areas of the show besides just the performances in the ring. Nobody's ever really come close to equaling what Vince does, and um, I, I think that's where a lot of these shows really fall flat. Is that you know, it is a TV show. So you have to give the audience more than just a match. And as you said, Noah, you know, we're gonna we're gonna basically take the B riff, the B side of the NWO theme music, <laughs> yeah. and kind of put that in there. Um, but that's just another part of it. You know, even for the wrestlers in WWE that have really generic, really shitty entrance music, at some point they're gonna get something that that's that slaps, right? Yeah. Um, if they get over enough. Yeah, right. exactly. Um, so and I just thought a lot of the production quality of the show, we're going to compete with WWE tonight by basically having like, and again, the geriatric WCW show up and hoping that that still draws, but not do anything else to really build up the show visually. And, mm. uh, you know, what you, when you have an opportunity like they did, because this was what a this was what a three hour show that TNA did that night was that right? It felt like it. I think it was a three hour show. Um, I believe it was. I, I think they it was a super. It was it two hours? I know it was. I know it was long. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. But you know, you gotta you gotta do something that can also interest the viewer. Um, and they didn't do that. Yeah. No, I um. I, yeah, no, and it was you tell it was written by people that that know what wrestling is, but had the wrong idea of what made wrestling popular at the time that they were writing for wrestling last. You know what I mean? In that kind of instance, like, oh yeah, well, Nitro had twelve minute rambling NWO Hulk Hogan segments. <laughs> yeah, but it's because everyone was already fucking over, and they were just trying to wait for Sting to drop down. You ain't got Sting dropping from the ceiling in this thing. It isn't nineteen ninety six. It isn't going to wait. Work. Wait, no, Sting was in the ceiling. I, I mean, yeah, he, he was. was he was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he still is on TNA. Yeah. Uh, or uh, AEW, I mean. I mean, I, yeah, he's, he, right. he, just, he hangs out there. Apparently, it snows wherever Sting goes now, which I, I don't want to get into AEW too sidetracked, but Sting's AEW's theme is fucking banging. And I'll fucking, mm -hmm. I'll stand next to that. It's a good fucking track. But, um, my, one of my one of my biggest fucking gripes about this is 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 besides the fact that we will on this show and I, we've talked about it a couple of times have an episode titled Hulk Hogan where we will have this extreme conversation about Hogan and all the fucking ways all the fucking ways but Hogan comes out to a song that sounds like the NWO theme which was when he was a heel let's put that out there 
And then he cuts what I think he felt was a babyface promo. <laughs> oh, boy. But it fucking oh, wasn't. None of the it shit wasn't. he says all night Listen. sounds legit or heartfelt. Listen. You have to give Hogan credit because no, now listen, listen, listen. <laughs> all he wanted to do was say Hulkamania, brother. <laughs> That's all he fucking wanted to say. And he had to actively think that entire promo that he was cutting to not say anything that Vince was going to sue the Carter family over. Because that's done, all yeah. he wanted to do. And he fucking mm-hmm. couldn't do it. No, uh, and you could see, even with the sunglasses on, fucking smoke coming out of his ears as he was trying to walk <laughs> and chew gum at the same time. That this promo was never going to work. It just wasn't. I often wonder if Eric Bischoff was really a plan of that, too. I think we had the same thing that happened with that first match. Like, fucking get out there. Just get, save whatever you can. Well, somebody, this well seg- because, yeah, because because of all the shit ball where it gets rolling there. But, I mean, if you want to look up disingenuous in the dictionary, Hulk Hogan's picture will appear multiple times throughout reading the same sentence. But Hulk Hogan coming out and saying that he's been dreaming of feeling the energy of the fans in this building. When this is the man who helped draw 93,000 people, allegedly, to Detroit, is standing at Orlando Studios in front of 190 people that he's performed (laughs) for six years ago in fucking WCW, in the same room, in the same Mm -hmm. room that WCW. (laughs) And he's like, oh, I've been waiting, brother. I've been waiting for this. You've been fucking waiting he, for the check. No, he was clear. No, he he was backstage. <laughs> this, this, he was backstage the entire time, Noah. Like he was actually physically waiting. <laughs> it just, it just kept putting it just kept putting food in front of his door. <laughs> I swear to God. And I, I listen, I don't want to make this whole thing about this thing goes 14 minutes. This segment. It felt like it's still happening right now. It was <laughs> a really long segment. It was fucking ridiculous. And then you get Hall and Waltman that stagger out there. <laughs> you know, and 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 they, they do security angle because they yeah. were in the crowd. Let them in. Right? Let them in. No. But like a, a part of me actually wants to believe that security was really trying to keep them out of the ring because they're like these guys are really <laughs> fucked up don't, don't let them go near the ring just, they say, just, just don't they say the whole promo is about how WCW used to be and how they're not going to let TNA become what WCW used to be while letting TNA while, yeah. become what WCW while doing that exact thing it's it's, it's so it's so ridiculous. meta. You couldn't be more meta if you fucking tried. <laughs> uh, so listeners, oh, what you got to keep oh, in mind here too: Noah is in tears right now over this. I I feel it, it, we have to just address this because we've danced around it. Uh, I know I have. So we're going to just fucking put it out there for the audience to decide that we're right, obviously. So from the beginning of this show, there's one prevailing message. You don't know what's coming next. Or 
the money's coming or we're on our way to being number one. Being number one, being alluded to, being number one is mentioned at, like at least 10 times in this show yeah. from, from what I can recall. Because Hulk Hogan is showing up. Specifically, because Hulk Hogan is showing up. Okay? Hulk Hogan shows up with a fucking police escort like he fucking needed that in 2010, but whatever. I can, I can excuse that. I can excuse the pageantry. It's fine. He shows up, has the audacity to get in the ring. A six-sided ring, by the way. And proceed to, without directly running down, but run down TNA as if they're fucking small potatoes until he showed up. Yeah. And That's I like, cannot even to tell you yeah. how much that fucking pissed me off. I'm not even a big TNA fan. But listening to that shit, I'm like, Look, yeah, you're Hulk Hogan. I get it. You're the biggest, you're the most influential professional sports entertainer of all time. Rock and wrestling, man. Like, he made it happen. If Hulk Hogan wasn't a thing, would we be having this conversation right now? Probably fucking not. Probably Who not. knows? But, but, God damn it, man. Like, Tina existed before you, dude. Right? Like, you, you can't just come out and diminish all these homegrown or semi-homegrown and just does like 14, 15 minutes straight. And like you said, Noah, he thinks oh, he's he a baby face promo. And I'm just sitting there listening that that's, to this. That's the thing with I'm like, it's this is good, right? And then, and then, oh, Nash, Waltman, Eric Bischoff, get in the ring and proceed to create what is easily a caricature of WCW, of the NWO. Only way older, way more out of shape, way more fucking high. Like, look, Scott Hall is easily, in my super, super humble opinion, one of the great fucking just wrestlers ever. Dude was just good Un at everything. Unsung at the but top to watch him, to watch him in that ring, the way he was, I felt bad. And look, I, 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 I and again, look, man, People get their demons, and, and we all know about them, and they happen, and it fucking happens. Like, look at Jeff Hardy. Shit happens, and it's unfortunate. And it sucks that it happened to him, to, of all people, Scott Hall. Because it didn't have to. He could have been such a big, bigger name than he was, unfortunately, but he just didn't end up there. But to watch him in the ring that night, I was just like, fuck, man. Talk about legacy, tarnishing. To watch fucking Waltman in there. To watch Hulk Hogan Babylon and Eric Bischoff Babylon about, like you said, let's not, we're not doing it the old way anymore, brother. I'm like, but you are literally doing it the old way right now. Right at this moment. Yeah, it's actually happening before our very eyes. And the audience, who, people who show up to TNA, who love TNA, who, who love Samoa Joe and AJ Styles and Amazing Red and Christopher Daniels, who fucking love these guys, are listening to Hulk Hogan tell them, your shit sucks. I'm going to make it awesome. And then I wrote the shit down. So I fucking had to. And it was just like, again, the audacity. Physical notebook is I'm fucking. Oh, it's never gone away. Gone away. No, but like <laughs> you haven't like physically referred to it for a verbatim sentence in quite a while. That means you're pissed. This shit, this shit is so fucking arrogant, right? Towards the end of the promo, he has, he has the fucking stones, man. Just hit the stones. 
He has the stones to say. <clears throat> we won't stop until we're the number one sports entertainment company in the world. I swear to fucking God. You are using Vince's verbiage. You're using his fucking language. You fucking lost already. And you won't even know it. You know who invented sports entertainment? Vince McMahon did. You know who hated it? Everybody else who ran a promotion. Everybody else who 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 AWA and ended they didn't call it sports entertainment. Vince did. And the fact that Hulk Hogan, who is the embodiment of sports entertainment, I guess, has the nerve to say we're gonna beat sports entertainment with sports entertainment. No, you fucking no one can. So you think anybody beat Vince McMahon? No one can. I'm done. So you got I'm spent. You, you got you guys said at the beginning here of the podcast when we were talking about why they did what they did, why they brought Brett out on January 4th because Hogan, right? You can say, and you can make the claim that the greatest collaboration in probably wrestling history is a collaboration between Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon. Hulk Hogan, when he's with Vince and what that does, and also what Vince has to create when he doesn't have Hogan, right? Because when he lost Hogan, when he lost all those guys, when WCW and Turner was putting out the big contracts for everybody, you know, that led to necessity. That led to the Attitude Era. That led to giving a platform to Triple H and Stone Cold and The Rock and letting, you know, all these guys take the mantle and create something new, right? And, you know, giving into what bringing Hogan again into TNA at this point gives Vince again, all right, well, I'm just going to go ahead and play these fucking cards again and make the shit I'm doing much more entertaining, you know? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of been that way for a long time. You know, Hogan, Hogan wasn't Vince's creation necessarily because Hogan was kind of, it's kind of a collaborative effort there and what they were able to build together, you know? Uh, everything you talk about Hogan's accomplishments as a wrestler is off of Vince's creations, you know. Um, but you know, there there's a there's a yin and a yang to those two that'll forever be connected in wrestling. So um, you know, as much as as much of a of of a fuck up as Hogan is, um, you know, it, there's a lot of creation that comes from him and that character for and against. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, it was a long promo and it felt even longer than it actually was of him just shitting on guys with the exception of Angle and AJ Styles. But he kept going back to the fact of everybody's got to earn their spot here. This isn't like the old way. Yeah. And Dixie Carter's ringside just fucking <laughs> eating out of his hand like this is going to make our business. Meanwhile, it started straight down from there mm -hmm. no it's yeah and uh it, the the last fuck icing on the fuck cake that we have here today is that eric bischoff comes out and just if you're like what could make this segment more wcw oh i don't know the fucking guy who ran wcw comes out and cuts a say nothing bullshit and he was to this fucking yeah he was all over the place and got no point across whatsoever. Well, no. Oh, well, they lost it about five seconds after Waltman and, and Hall got on the mic. And no one ever recovered any damn thing. 
Hogan says everyone's under a microscope. And they do that thing that wrestlers who are trying to get have their line be the last line that is in a promo do, where they just keep reiterating <laughs> the same point they say over again. And someone cuts them off and then they say it again. Except no one is there in a strong enough production thing to say, all right, we're, we're going to commercial in 10. Nine. So they have to fucking wrap it up. And they let Hogan go for a fucking year. And then there was the three minutes of awkwardness where he's like, where's the producer? Get me the oh script. My God, so and then they're that. just like, they're cutting around like, is there a producer here? Is there even a script? I don't Get, fucking know. No, they just kept they, looking around they, and then they, they handed the him a stack of papers. And he's, <laughs> but more, <laughs> more importantly, <laughs> Bischoff had a similar stack of papers that he was able to pull out on cue. Well, no, that was the, that's new the actual format. Format, the new format. No, yeah. I know, but like, you know, you guys know, like, when you're you got a project due, it's for school, and you're like, oh, I'm gonna do it tomorrow. I'm gonna do it tomorrow. Now wait till tomorrow. And then it's ten o'clock the night before it's due, and you realize you haven't even fucking started it yet. So you quickly start to put some stuff down on paper, but you fucking fell asleep. <laughs> while you're working on it so you literally have like two pages or like a third of a diorama that you need to hand in tomorrow and then you wake up and your mom's like you gotta fucking go to school so you show up and you just have this half-ass really loosely put together thing that you try to work that's how this episode of tna felt it's like it's it's almost <laughs> like they just kept it. trying to that's kick really the can till we come up with something good and then it's like 10 minutes to air and they're like well what do you guys got it's like I thought you had it. I, I know we you were gonna do. It. No, I was. I was. We're gonna do. No, I, you said you were gonna do it. Somebody, somebody had to have gotten fired from this. He's <laughs> like the thing. No, speaking of getting fired from this, after oh. a whole bunch of other shit goes on in the show, including making the main event for the pay per view that they'd been hyping up thus far in the show, oh. now the main event of tonight's show, because that makes fucking sense to announce that halfway through the show, after the segment you've been promoting all night. Uh, we get Jeff Jarrett comes out. Mm -hmm. The guy who actually started the company. And he comes out. And the, the crowd, who he has been talking to the entire time TNA has been in existence and in Orlando, chants for him, letting you know that he's a super baby face. And then he, he went out, out as a baby face before he came back. So yeah. that's... You know, so so he's a baby face in front of this crowd, and he talks about how he's proud to be there, baby face, and how uh, he tried to convince uh, Hogan for years to come apart to, to be in TNA, but it wasn't right. But he's glad it's happening now, baby face, and how that of all the stuff he accomplished in his career, he's glad, most proud of starting TNA to give a bunch of guys opportunity, and then he names other baby faces, and gets a baby face reaction. And then fucking Hulk Hogan comes on the screen and says, fuck you. <laughs> Just, uh... he literally says, so what? Nobody cares. <laughs> and he's a baby face. And then he talks about how Jeff single-handedly ran this company. Oh, my the God. Again, like... diminishing the history of TNA again. Yeah, yeah it devalues the entire if he, if everything they built to that do point, it twice he does it eight times in this promo, but interrupting Jeff Jarrett, he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry. I, you know what? I think they really want me to go back out there, Dixie, and fuck it, just shit all over him again." They seem to really eat that up. <laughs> they see the really the people chanting TNA when I was talking about WCW. That 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 really that really works well for me. 
Um, and then the last thing he says is for Jeff Jarrett to put his boots on and wrestle, which should be not a fucking big kayfabe reveal because Jeff Jarrett never stopped wrestling the entire time <laughs> he was in TNA. It's not like, oh, man, I got to go to work. That's what he fucking has been doing. Regardless of if you feel about Jeff Jarrett. It was, and then they follow up the fucking Jeff Jarrett horseshit with, oh, okay. So randomly, we were also promoting a barbed wire match that's just not going to happen now because because WCW and a W. You know, I'm I'm not. <laughs> we haven't even gotten to my favorite part of this whole this whole oh. uh, TNA show. What is your favorite part? Please. Well, it's it is it is a, the final match of the evening, right? Where we're actually getting something that we all want to see. We're getting fucking okay. AJ Styles against Kurt Angle, as we mm -hmm. said, was supposed to be their pay-per-view main event. We're just going to do it now. Because I think they realize, again, as kind of going through here and throwing darts at fucking note cards on a board and seeing what lands and sticks to go ahead and put the show together, <laughs> that it's fucking failing miserably. So we have to do something to salvage this. Let's go ahead and just push up our main event and figure it out later. Because, you know, that's basically how this entire show came together. So we're getting a very solid match between AJ Styles and Kurt Angle. Two fantastic wrestlers, you know, in their prime, being able to fucking work. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And then halfway through the match, fucking Ric Flair walks out. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like they're like they're like it's oh my god it's rick flair and then <sighs> he walks this way on the stage and he looks <laughs> and he walks over again and looks and then he just leaves he just shuffles <laughs> away he just shuffled <laughs> away and and that was that was i'm watching this and i'm like did, did they just push him out? <laughs> did, <laughs> just get out. Did, go, 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 did, go. He get, did he get lost backstage and just happen to oh wander on the stage and just realize, well, oh, I'm here God. now? Uh, <laughs> I, just, I, I just I've don't never... understand. I, they're, like, I, so... they're like, he was he was in, oh, it's like, it's Ric Flair. He was in AJ Styles' locker room. And then nothing. Yeah. So... So Flair comes out, and it's like supposed to be this tense moment leading into the commercial break that flares out there. He's going to do something. What's he going to do? We'll be right back. And we come back and flares <laughs> and flares fucking standing there. And I've never seen a 16 time world champion, literally meander on camera. Before. <laughs> <laughs> But he, he he looks like he looks like when 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 the dad of the family drops oh. his family off at the front of the restaurant and tells them to go get a table and get in. And he's gonna go park the car and then he walks in the front door of the restaurant and has to look he, to see. He can't find his family <laughs> forever. He's wandering and he's looking forever and then just kind of takes the side of the restaurant to shovel towards hoping that they're there. Oh, or someone he's really. Dad. That's what you know what? Rick Flair brought to this show. I wrote in my notes, very specifically during this moment, I'm glad you brought that up, Dave. Rick really looks his age in this moment, and I don't know why in this very moment. Maybe because <laughs> teenagers siphoned all of the whatever residual youth he had left. Yeah, he looks like he has dementia as he's wandering up on the yeah. stage. 
No, when Shawn Michaels kicked him in the face in Orlando uh, <laughs> nine months before this, it fucking it. it left all of his everything. And I'm not even kidding because we've seen it happen. But everything that made Ric Flair Ric Flair got kicked in the face that night in Orlando and never came back. Flair came back, but what made Ric Flair Ric Flair was retired that night, and everything else was a shell of it. Now, you know. I I, I want to give credit to this match because. But despite all the uh, all the WCW horseshit going on around this, it's still AJ Styles, and inevitably the first time he ever hit his prime, and Kurt Angle in the last time he ever hit his prime, fucking working. And I I, I had a big problem with this match, but go ahead, Noah. And no, it's just like the the sheer athleticism was incredible. But my one major note is that I I, I am hard pressed. To, to see anything, we see it a lot these days, in my opinion, where people do so many moves, but I couldn't tell you what story they tried to tell. Thank you. In this yep. They couldn't, couldn't yeah. plan it. It was just move. There was zero story. All, all I'm thinking about, Noah, all I'm thinking about, right? Because this is what Bret Hart would do, right? Let's go ahead mm. and tie these two things together. Kurt Angle has the fucking ankle lock on AJ Styles. What three times in this match at least, and no fucking collateral damage at all. Like AJ Styles should have been limping through this match. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't have been able to springboard all nine Springboard times as much as he did, you know. And there's your opportunity to start telling a story, you know, where oh, Angle just keeps going back to the leg. He keeps going back to the ankle. He keeps working that side. AJ can't do what he's supposed to do. How's the defending champion? going to get out of this match against Kurt fucking Angle, right? Against the rest um, of the machine. And 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 we've had this conversation too off off the air about finishing moves and yeah. the purpose of a finishing move is to finish off a competitor and how we get to the point now where finishing moves don't finish off competitors in matches. Yeah. Where we had I think AJ did his finishing move at least 3 times. Kurt Angle does the fucking Olympic angle slam, whatever you want to call it at this point, off the top rope. For two God damn! Twice and 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 they just they just keep kicking out, and it, it, you know, if when you get to that point in any match where we're just going to see them do the moves like that, it's one of the things about WWE that I give them a lot of credit for is that a lot of wrestlers have a medium move and then they have a final move. You know, there's there's the you know the 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 people's elbow. There's you know um, you know stone. Uh, just I'm 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 having trouble kind of thinking of everything. But a lot of wrestlers have like this intermediate move, ten minutes into the match, that they're going to hit on somebody, and you know that the end is going to start. We're going to start getting into the last act of the match because we're starting mm-hmm. to pull out some of the moves. But when you get into these situations where people just keep hitting their finisher again and again and again, it doesn't finish it off. You're diminishing what that move means to the wrestler who's giving it, and what the story's trying to tell. And it, and then at that point, you don't know when the match is really going to end. And I don't think those false counts really help in these no, points anymore. When it's just when it's just athleticism. And again, the athleticism was fantastic in this match, but there was zero story being told whatsoever. And it just completely disinterested me because I'm like, well, now I'm just kind of ready for this to end. Yeah, it was it was so repetitive. And it, it obviously went over time and they played it as Hulk Hogan's here and he talked to Spike TV and they're going to let us run over on time. 
and they still just kept doing the same fucking moves. They didn't. No, they did. And uh, I want to hear. And here's the big thing about this match. And this is the big, the biggest lift up that I could. And like this, the most WCW thing that this show might have done, if not the Hogan segment, then it's definitely this. Is that regardless? Take all the criticisms we have about this match. On here's a match that goes multiple segments that features the two most talented wrestlers this company has out of a myriad of talented wrestlers. And they kick out of everything that they can possibly throw at each other, left and right, and have this amazing pay-per-view quality match. And it ends. And the young upstart AJ Styles is supposed to cement himself as the face of this new company that has all of these stars at the figurehead. And Kurt Angle, the greatest wrestler in the world, arguably at that time, is, is now he's been bested. And where do they go after that barn burner of a match? And then you would typically say, good night, everybody. Join us next week. Right. No, we're going to go to fucking Valvita's playing strip poker <laughs> in the back because this can't get more WCW than that. Hogan has to right. cut a rambling promo. like, oh, they just raised this the bar of TNA over and over again. And we're going to be the greatest rise and company in the history of wrestling, brother. And then someone runs up to him and tells him something off screen. Hogan's got to go back where Mick Foley and fucking Val Venus have an argument, and then the NWO attacks Mick Foley in front of Eric Bischoff and Hogan, and the and the, and the biggest show in the history of this company ends with Hulk Hogan going, "What? <laughs> like that's that's your not AJ Styles and Kurt Angle, not the Hogan promo, none of that." It's Hogan going, "You you did what? Copyright TNA 2010." You, you know. One of the things that I kind of took from this, watching this again, was, you know, I think in wrestling, there is a tendency to want to go back on what on what was popular, right? The Attitude Era is never going to happen again. No. It's never going to happen again. Yeah. And no, that, well, absolutely it can't. But like when you go into the room, now Venus is playing strip poker as Mick Foley's going to burst through the door. It, it doesn't work anymore. You know, it worked in 96 and 97. Well. Yeah. It doesn't work in, in 2010. Um, when you try to bring back Hall and Nash and Hogan and Bischoff, yeah, that fucking worked in 95, 96 and everything, right? It was fucking huge. But we've seen it already. And not to mention the fact that these guys are all 15 years older. And you're putting all that wear and tear on all these guys physically, mentally, you know, the substances they put into themselves and what that does to you. And, you know, one of the things, again, you know, we know I have our love of Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho is always looking forward. He is always looking to the next thing. He doesn't go back. You know, he doesn't he doesn't sit on those laurels. He comes up with the next thing that he's going to do with his character. And and I think when you look at what happened here at the show is that they completely lost sight of that. They thought that by getting the band back together, we're going to be able to catapult this to what WCW had. And everybody was just kind of like, you know, well, fuck, we already saw this. So why yeah. do I want to yeah, give us something new, you know? Well, uh, there's there's a variable. I, I, if I may, there is one variable we haven't really uh, mentioned is it, is it uh, the fucking the nasty boys? 
Oh the nasty boy showed up on his fucking no, show. I, I, I couldn't fucking direct three D's locker room. No, uh, a much more important variable that shame on us for not bringing up, and that we have, and I somehow missed it. Shame on me. But the one of the biggest reasons the show ended up the way it did is just because of Hogan or Bischoff or takes cars because of Vince Russo. The Vince Russo mm-hmm. variable is very much thing here. He's in charge of writing this show. Right. You want to talk about, you know, Sean Morley and, and a strip, uh, strip poker uh, vignette or a segment. That's Vince Russo. If, there if, there, if nothing else is Vince Russo, that's Vince Russo. Right. I got to tell you, his bro. Fingerprints all over it. Yeah, yeah. I know. So, so it's so much of the show. Uh, I mean, it's him. It's, it's his story. It's his baby. Now, I don't. And again, I don't know the true inner workings of TNA, especially back then. And like how the pecking order with with creative, but I would assume, and assuming it makes an ass out of you and me, but I would assume that Vince Russo tells Dixie, "Yeah, this is gonna work." She goes, "Yeah, period." Yeah, because she and, doesn't um, know that side of the business. She doesn't know. No, I exactly. gotta tell you, bro. What you gotta do is have Rick Flair meander out there like he's in the old country buffet and he doesn't know why he wants to start a salad. He, or he, could, he couldn't he couldn't find a plate, Noah. That was his problem. Couldn't find he a got to the buffet bro. and the plates just weren't there and he just didn't know what to do. Oh my god. Oh my god. Like I actually Man. you guys were talking about like it was like he walked into the restaurant, was meandering, trying to find where his family was sat. I looked at it as he walked into the restaurant and realized that he was in an Olive Garden when he was supposed to be at a TGI fucking Friday. <laughs> <laughs> and it took him it took him a couple minutes to realize that he was not in the right restaurant. <laughs> Flair probably could have looked at his watch and figured out that he was in the wrong place, but he probably had recently sold it. So <laughs> Damn, dude. Oh, man. I listen. <laughs> I have decided that I'm coming for the old guard here on this show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because both Ric Flair, let me just tell you what Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan have had many of allegation leveled levied against them. We even have concrete yes. proof of a couple of them. Right. Uh, two wrestlers that they have dogged uh, with their every breath that they possibly could to a certain extent, were Brett the Hitman Hart and the Macho Man Randy Savage. And and right. likewise, Brett Hart and Randy Savage also couldn't give a shit for Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan. And now here we are, the further away from all of their large rides at the top, we are from history, uh, You, uh, I am much more proud to stand in the camp of the motherfucking Macho Man than I am yeah. of the motherfucking nature boy, Ric Flair. No. Mm-mm. Fuck you. All right? But your son-in-law? Well, there's that. He's nice. Well, he's, he's good nice. guy. I enjoy his content. His he content's fantastic. Content. Yeah. Shout out. Excellent. Meanwhile, content. all and all this entire last match of the night is going head to head with Randy Orton against Kofi Kingston. Uh, you know what, though? I tell you what. Some things age better than not. And if you told me that the main event in Raw today was going to be Randy Orton and Kofi Kingston, fuck yeah, Jesus Christ. Right, yeah. like yeah, with, 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 with yeah. a thousand times, yeah. But if you told me the main event of Raw today was going to be Val Vitas playing strip poker with the beautiful people, while Mick Foley gets his ass beat by the remaining men- members of the NWO, I would, I would be like new phone, who dis? <laughs> Lose my number. Dude, dude, those guys at the at the end of that show, the NWO or whatever you want to call them, uh, the did 
the, the band did exactly what they said they wouldn't do. They spent 14 minutes saying they wouldn't do. And they did anyhow. And it's sort of like, what was the point of all this then? Like, as a, as a great a, question. As a potential fan of TNA, if I were a prospective fan, if I'm, you know, somebody tells me, oh, okay, matter of fact, fuck it, I'll go, I'll go that distance. So years ago, right, uh, back in 2010, uh, when I worked as a manager of a grocery store, assistant manager of a grocery store, I had a friend of mine, a coworker, who was a big fan of wrestling just like me. And he and I would go back and forth about all sorts of stuff all throughout the day. Every day. It kept the same, right? He rolls up on me one day, and he's the first person who told me that Hulk Hogan was coming to TNA. And I went, really? And he goes, yeah, and, I, and the rumor has it, so is Eric Bischoff. And I went, oh, yeah? And he goes, yeah. And I remember just kind of going, that's a fucking stupid-ass idea. And he's like, what? and he got hot. He got really salty at me. Like, what do you mean? Blah, blah, blah. It's Hulk Hogan. I'm like, brother, like, why? What, what good's that even going to do? Like, they don't need Hulk Hogan. They need guys like Samoa they need people who's, who are going to wrestle. And, and he's like, no, he's going to bring eyes. He's going to bring them. Like, yeah, maybe. For how long, though? And I will be goddamn. It did not last long. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. What was the point? No, there was listen, no point. Could, it was a there paycheck. was no point. We could sit here, and I'm sure we're all going to state how we feel about this here at the end of this episode. But it's not about how we felt about it. It's about how the people that were supposed to watch the show felt about it. Let me give you an idea. The impact mm-hmm. before the TNA Monday Night War debacle, before Hogan debuted, drew a 1.09 rating, okay? Which doesn't sound like a lot. It isn't a lot. It's actually not much less than what Raw does these days, right? But Monday Night Raw uh, drew a 3.4, uh, 3.1, excuse me. The TNA 2010 impact rating that we have now, this show we're talking about, Raw drew a 3.6 that day. Impact drew a 1.5. So it was a significant bump up with everybody coming. Half a point more. The next time they were on Mondays, as we have alluded to way earlier in the show, wasn't the next Monday. It wasn't even the next month. It was over (laughs) two months later that they decided that they needed to double down. And they decided to run the entirety of March and April to see how this would go on Mondays. Let me tell you, let me read you the the ratings that they did in order on march 8th wwe's in wrestlemania season i'm not even gonna read wwe's ratings here but they're in WrestleMania at this point (laughs) impact drew a 0.98 so right away the second monday that they did had less ratings than when hulk hogan hadn't even come into the company then they did a 0.84 0.86 0.62 and the final one when Spike TV pulls the plug is a 0.8 conclusively proving that TNA was better off ratings wise before Hulk Hogan ever showed up than they were when he did asking Mm -hmm. once again what the fuck was the point other than to get a myriad of people that Hulk Hogan knows money for a very limited amount of work. Keep in keep in mind that only this show was live. So they taped. Yeah. So they didn't even work all those days individually. They went to Orlando probably three or four times, made an excessively large amount of money. For what? For what? 
because when you i always have this theory and i'm i don't mean to be political on anybody but when you look at an evil that happens in the world and you can't figure out why it is the way it is it's because i feel that there's an old rich white man getting richer because it's happening if you can't figure out why somebody's doing something in wrestling and you can't figure it out it's either because it makes vince mcmahon richer or it makes <laughs> hulk hogan richer this is the latter. This whole fucking thing happened because somebody, Hulk Hogan wanted to be richer, and he talked some gullible fucking people into making it happen. If you, if Hulk Hogan comes to you with a fucking idea, and the words, the nasty boys, come out of his fucking mouth, <laughs> you're being taken for a ride. What the most upsetting, what the most upsetting and shocking thing to me is, is that Dixie Carter would continue her relationship with Hulk Hogan and being in charge of TNA for years to come after this. Well, at some point you make your bed, you just got to sleep in it. You know, I mean, true. What, what are you going to do? Just going to go ahead and just say, well, after three months, this isn't working. We're just going to go ahead and cut ties. Who knows what that contract looked like? And what level right. of defeat do you admit when you do that? Yeah. I mean, at some point, you enter into those partnerships and you have to make something out of it. You know, you got you got to make a sandwich out of what you got in the kitchen. And, you know, you know, it, it could be a shitty sandwich or it could be delicious, but you're just going to have to make something out of it. You know, one of the one of the great things when Herb and I were roommates were we're hungry. We don't have a whole lot to eat. What the fuck are we going to make? And just what can we create out of what we have in the kitchen? And some great things, i.e. the pasta, came out of it. So, like, it's the same kind of a thing. You know, when, when you make that decision that you're going to go ahead and bring in these notable names and you're hoping to get that bump from notoriety, um, you just have to go with it. You can't admit that defeat because then you lose not only the people you're trying to bring in, but also the people that were there for you the whole time. You know, you mm -hmm. risk alienating everybody and the whole thing goes to shit. Um, you know, and one of the things that I, I always hope for AEW is that, you know, they continue on the trajectory where, you know, when, when people get fired from WWE and we see it all the time and everybody is always like, oh my God, I can't believe they let so-and-so go. You know, is that person going to go to AEW now? Are they just going to go ahead and pick up yeah. WWE's cast-offs? And a lot of times, you know, there's some guys that they do, and there's a lot of people they don't. Um, I'm sure money has a big part to play in that because you, you just can't get all those inflated contracts. But also, you, you don't want to just keep trying to recycle. You need to build your own thing. You need to take your creative in, a, in your own direction. And, you know, if TNA doesn't do this, who knows where they go? Because you guys are right. They did have a stable of, of, of athletes. They had some good people um, that they were able to build around. And who knows what they could have continued to build. Um, but ultimately, it, it, uh, it fell apart. So I just hope AEW doesn't do the same thing. Because I see a lot of parallels there. Yeah, you it's um, easy it to make that same mistakes. It's I I want to leave my the last piece of useless information I'll offer you here. But this show happens on in January 4th, 2010. Within the next three years, AJ Styles is gone. 
Most of the people that make TNA, TNA have left or have moved on. Jeff Jarrett's gone. A lot of other people are gone. 2014 would see the the, the Steve, uh, Sting leaves. They're they're you know most probably most fabled. Hogan's gone. Despite all of this and all of the troubles that would happen for the years of TNA, TNA in one way or another still exists as Impact Wrestling. But from 2002 until well past this, TNA still existed as TNA Wrestling. And the most shocking statistic I can offer you that in 1989, when WCW was formed out of Jim Crockett Promotions and the National Wrestling Alliance, that entity lasted just over 11 years. TNA lasted longer than WCW. It's a hell of a thing. <laughs> Despite their best effort to fail. Despite oh, man, that, right? I mean, yeah. and, despite Vince, and despite Vince's, you know, just vengeance. You know, I have an opportunity to buy this thing that gave me all this trouble and basically bury it. I'm going to go ahead and do that. Vince doesn't give a shit about TNA. I don't think he nope. he ever will. It 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 wasn't worth it to him. And no, you it know, was just a, a blip on his radar. Yeah, yeah. It it was another farm league for him to to grab people and 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 throw it into. But we we will one day talk about AJ Styles and a more concrete thing. And I I love Samoa Joe and I love a lot of the talent that went through there. But the best thing that TNA ever did for wrestling was AJ Styles. And then we can all completely oh, yeah. agree on that. Easy. To the point where AJ Styles, in a, in a time where every talent in Ring of Honor in New Japan went to NXT when they were in their big signing thing, AJ didn't. AJ bypassed all that shit because he was he had long since been main roster ready. Uh, and I think that that is the probably biggest check mark that TNA will ever have and what did they do for the career of AJ, for AJ Styles. But... Gentlemen, if you could sum up in just one word the attempted resurrection of the Monday Night Wars here on January 4th, 2010, what word would you use? Uh, I wouldn't use okay. a word. Oh, go ahead, Jones. Oh, please. No, go no, ahead. no, no, go ahead. Go uh, I wouldn't even oh, use a word. I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Well, goddamn. Uh, Mac, go ahead, please. All right, I wouldn't even use a word. I just use a sound, and it's the Price is Right losing horn. <laughs> that's, that is that's, that's it. That's, that's, my, that's my piece to that. That's good. That's so good. Doc. Uh, really short-sighted. That's a good one. That's a good one. Jafar. Uh, mine would be shit show. <laughs> and I, I think, you know, TNA had a lot of decent things that they've done over the years, and it, it has its, yeah, its place in the wrestling world overall. But when you have people at the top who are solely focused on money, when you have shit creative and you bring in these big guys for big paychecks to try to draw eyeballs. Yes, that's great in the moment, but if you have a subpar product, you you can't have longevity. And I think ultimately that's what killed TNA. Killed its momentum for sure. Well, there's nothing TNA could do with Hogan that hadn't already been done. 
Mm-mm. He's the biggest baby face in the world. We saw that through the 80s. He was the biggest heel in the world. We saw that in the 90s. What else are you going to do with him? Nothing. Yeah. There's just, nothing you could have done with Hogan at that point. And put him just, on a pole. I don't fucking know. Just, yeah, just, just more of the same. It just fucking hit the brakes on anything they had. Mr. Brown? WCW. That's my one word. The good, the bad. WCW. Happened. The most WCW show we've ever reviewed was a TNA show on this night. (laughs) 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 But the quest continues to to find something that, you know, that... And so how funny... How we been able to stray too far away from Bret Hart so far in our wrestling like it seems like we do a little bit and then we get roped right back into that fucking shit right he's a big part of a lot of things yes well I once again want to thank our listeners for being a big part in all of the things a thousand downloads and and yes. going ever stronger you guys are amazing Absolutely. but uh but we got some fun shit coming up for you guys uh I'm not gonna do what we do is last week, Spider-Man No Way Home Expedition ha- taught me that I don't want to announce too far ahead uh, of what we're doing for two reasons. One, because we can fucking change our minds on a whim. <laughs> we're fucking adults here. And two, no one seems to care that we did. So why would, <laughs> why would I let fucking expectations be, right? I did not get one angry, oh, you guys weren't, we're talking about all-time movie soundtracks or The Matrix. No, we fucking changed that shit twice. And no one complained about it. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Everybody was completely cool with it. It might be fun just to kind of keep certain shit as a surprise uh, until we lay it in there. But we've got some cool shit coming up here for you guys coming up. Um, and we're excited for you to have and be along on the journey yeah. with us. And I'm I'm yes. not going to say what, because I haven't asked them what. But a little insider baseball, a lot of the topics picked thus far in the show were picked by Doc and myself early into the show's run, long ahead of time. Like, this show here has been on the calendar since fucking October, just because I right. knew what date a Tuesday fell on, on January 4th. Uh, but that is, talk about the end of an era. That shit's over because I am super excited because we're approaching the era where Mac and Jafar are going to pick the shit we talk about. And I am yes. fucking excited because they are fucking deviant. No pressure at all. Uh, <laughs> nope. I can't wait to do an entire episode on 1130 uh, in later Cinemax. That's that's fine. <laughs> I'll, Red Shoe Diary. On that one. Cinemax, on Absolutely. Oh, yeah. little little belly button grinding. A little something for the oh, midnight yeah. listener. Oh, oh. Hey, night listener. There you go. House coming, sneezing, and pissing going all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Biologically impossible, but if, painful. I know. <laughs> if anybody could do it, it's him. I appreciate po- it. Possibly. <laughs> He's got time. Guys, one last <laughs> thing I wanna one last thing I wanna say here as we uh as we look to wrap this up here. We didn't mention earlier, uh, but uh, you know, we usually do this segment at the beginning of the show, but We'll, we'll do it here. Gentlemen, what are you drinking? Oh. What did I drink is more like it. It's gone. Yeah, what did you drink? Mine is also Chance. gone. Uh, yeah, same. I um I had a, a glass of uh some uh Hudson whiskey, some bourbon. Uh just nice. drinking it up. Very nice. I uh, uh oh no, I'm gonna hop in there just because I was in the middle of talking and I'm not gonna let this whole back and forth thing happen that you two had happen earlier. <laughs> I am trying to do <laughs> 
a new beer from uh, Bell's called Mars. It's double IPA. Get it in here. I just got it because as soon as I saw it, I heard, you have to get your ass to Mars. So <laughs> nice. I got my ass to Mars. You did. And I was drinking a Blizzard of Hops from Trogues. Mm. It's a winter IPA. I adore the Wizard of Hobbs. And Mac, what are you drinking? Well, since I'm I'm uh, in my recovery phase, I haven't quite graduated from the uh, from the drinks that have been trying to get me better. So, I am uh, I'd finished a Fruit Punch Gatorade. Ooh, the red stuff. So, trying to just get keep myself hydrated here as I uh, get to the end of my two weeks of uh, of coronavirus, and you know, hopefully get past this piece of shit son of a bitch virus. That's right. Well, Noah, can I get can I get a fuck you for for COVID nineteen? You know what? I feel like that's appropriate. Like that's the one I I feel like the least guilty about. So uh, I'm going to to layer this with a responsible. I'm I'm going to do a golf ball. I'm going to make the T be a responsible statement, and then I'm going to fucking hit it with a fuck you. So we here at Nothing Good um, absolutely send our our heart our heartfelt thoughts, prayers, condolences to anyone who's ever suffered. Uh, needlessly because of the effects of coronavirus or ever known anybody who has ever done that. And we want you to know that if you are suffering, have suffered or know someone who did, uh, that we appreciate you and want you to know that we are thinking about you and, and hope that you have uh, the strength you need to find the solace and recovery in these times. But to the COVID-19 virus, and because I don't fucking care because this is our fucking show, to the motherfuckers that may willy-nilly spread the COVID-19 virus around because you're a fucking piece of shit, then let me say this to you right now. Fuck you, okay? Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. I want to go to the movies. I want to go to the restaurant. I want to have a steak. I want to see my family on Christmas, but I can't because you, the virus, and you, the Fuckers enabling this thing to keep going on are fucking assholes. So get your shit together. Fucking step your shit up and fucking do the right thing. Fuck you. Well said. Thank you. That, that sounded good. Yeah. I, I, I thought Thank it's, you. Yeah. It was solid. I, I feel strongly. The only thing <laughs> I feel strongly about that is fucking WCW. Okay. <laughs> Fucking died in 2001, and then nine years later found the fucking way to come back. Like a fucking <laughs> shitty reboot. It's like someone's like, oh, I've got an idea. We're going to fucking reboot the shitty X-Men movies. And then you know what? It fucking lasts one movie, and it fucks. It's, fuck. it's, 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 it's that herpes that you thought went away, Noah, and then nine years later it reared its ugly head. <laughs> we all know the herp don't go away. Okay? <laughs> it fucking hires Hulk Hogan and all of his fucking friends. And it comes back every so often. Fuck, I don't know. How does that motherfucker... Like, like yeah, I don't care if you show up at WrestleMania in a fucking pirate suit. I don't, I'm don't. i not going to forget. Okay? I'm not going to fucking forget any of it. Nope. Fuck you. Nope. Well, next week, PC Gaming, am I right? PC Gaming Roots. Specifically, <laughs> taking, it uh, back, you know, yeah, the roots. taking it back to the OG roots. experiences. I'm really excited to talk about this. There's a, a, a good number of games that I cannot remember the name of, but I can see them. Like, I can visualize the games, but I have no idea what the fuck they're called, and i got to figure that out. I'd like to talk to family members for this, so it'll be fun. 
I, I can't good. wait to talk about Minesweeper and Free Cell and Solitaire <laughs> I and Spider Solitaire and that fucking space pinball game that, that I just couldn't get enough of. Dude. Yeah. Uh, so how about I just figured out how to play Minesweeper like three weeks ago? Like, like I didn't know with like the what the fucking numbers on the flag meant, and that it could also be dying. I never. I just you know like loaded up fucking clicking randomly around the goddamn screen. Oh, I died. I don't give a shit. I got other stuff on here. But then I was like, how does one play Minesweeper, or does Minesweeper play you? Well, I fucking learned. So that's some information right there. Still not. Uh, in theory, as if all goes to plan, and I still have to uh, make some calls. We will have a guest on the show. We'll have a longtime friend of the show, uh, Gib. Gibby will probably be joining us. So I'm excited about card, that. Card uh, subject to change if he if he decides that he has to fly across the country for another sexiest lips convention. So, I mean, yeah. to be fair, that is kind of a big goddamn deal. It literally and I, happened. <laughs> he, he and I still he have to talk about celebrity. Yet, we're going to talk about it. Oh, if he's on the show, that's, that's kind of, like the that's third a... thing I'm going to say to him. Hey, Gibby, do you remember that time I beat your ass in front of a party full of people in uh, SmackDown vs. Raw 2006 on the Xbox 360? By the way, who voted you to have sexy lips? And why don't you tell me an excruciating amount of detail about that? That's how it's going to go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. So we got that and more to look forward to. That's right. That's right. We are eventually going to talk about music again, too, which is going to be fun. So Yeah, yeah. But, super yeah, yeah. That's going to be a good time. I'm very excited about that subject. That specific so, album. But I'm I'm excited for everyone who joined us here today. Is is there any last party thoughts on on the the ill-fated 2010 Monday Night Wars that anyone has to offer before we send these people home? Not not specifically about that, but I just want to thank all the listeners again who have been with us on this journey. A thousand streams for us is a big deal, and we're looking forward to you guys being here with us for the next thousand. So thank you. Yes. I, I echo with uh, what, what Jeff said, and we really appreciate it. And um, please tell your friends, tell anybody you think would be interested in what we're doing. You know, we we drop every Tuesday, and uh, we're just really getting started, honestly. So I'm really excited to see where this goes another year or so. And I just want to, uh, you know, as as the calendar always flips anew this time of year, uh, just wishing everybody a, a happy and healthy new year. Uh, you know, whether you make resolutions, whether you make goals, or you just want to take it day by day, you know, it's a blank slate for you in 2022. I hope you make this year the best. And, you know, I wish everybody that uh, listens and even some of you who don't listen, you know, and, and find this episode maybe a little bit later on in the archives, a uh, happy, healthy, safe and, uh, and prosperous new year. We hope that you make the new year into your WCW and you fucking run this thing straight into the goddamn ground. <laughs> so on behalf That's of, right. On behalf of everyone here on the show, we wish you a very happy new year and we say this new year, we sincerely hope that it is nothing good. <laughs>